Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 385. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what is up? This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together and we talk about the week's DC books that we read. And this is the quiet week, but because of the, the event, it actually ended up being kind of a normal-ish uh, amount almost. We have uh, Titan's World, or sorry, Titan's World. We have Titan's Beast World Tour, Metropolis issue one. We have Titan's Beast World, Waller Rising issue one. We have Batman 140, Birds of Prey 4, Shazam issue six, Poison Ivy 17, Batman Santa Claus, Silent Night issue one, Blue Beetle 4, and I've got Patreon books to do this week, so I'll be talking about American Vampire Second Cycle issue two, and Batman and the Outsiders issue nine, which is the talking point of the week because it's the debut issue of Cold Snap. So more on that later, but very important. So that's what's coming up on the show this week. Yeah, a lot of busy weeks uh, recently. Uh, between the new books and the event, it yeah. seems like they're keeping us busy on the run up to Christmas. So well, let me say, there's there's two books that I wish I didn't read this week. So <laughs> and they both have very similar titles. I'm going to assume. Yeah, my mom's not Batman. Wait, really? No, I'm saying one of them's not Batman. I thought both of them were Batman. Yeah, because they both are. No, they're, they're trying to build suspense. So, be, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, it whiffed. It whiffed. Yeah, big, big whiff. <laughs> whiff, whiff. Yeah, for, for once, for once, it might not be the... Batman might not be the complete, you know, uh, disaster. But it still might be. But man, who we... I, I'm making no comments whether or not my I feel better or worse about this issue of Batman. I, I just, I have two other books that I <laughs> was not fond of reading, so we'll get to those in a bit. But uh, yes, uh, we'll start off with the with the the usual thing with Comicsology top mm-hmm. ten. Maybe it'll wake Matt up since he's yawned like five times in the last. I'm sorry, i late night, early morning. I'm trying to like get the caffeine in my system going. Uh, so here we go. Yes, yeah, a top uh, ten will cheer you up, Matt. That's, that's what's yeah, al- always does. <laughs> so yeah, look at the the rankings on Kindle Comicsology uh, for Tuesday and then Wednesday. So was that with Tuesday? What do you think the number one book was from Tuesday, Matt, from DC? I wanted it to be Batman Santa, but it's probably not. Uh, let's just say Batman. It is just Batman. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's a correct guess. Uh, number two is Titans Beast World Tour Metropolis. So that came out number two. Uh, three is Birds of Prey. Four is Shazam. Five is Titans Beast World Waller Rising. Six is Silent Night, the Batman Santa book. Yeah. Uh, seven is Superman 78. Eight is Fire and Ice. Nine is Poison Ivy. Ten is Blue Beetle. And that actually seems to be most of the DC single issues. Unless yeah. we're including, of course, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Which is technically yeah. uh, DC. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Beast World did very well last week. It makes sense the tie-ins might do all right uh, mm-hmm. the following. But it is nice to see Birds of Prey and Shazam doing uh, reasonably Up well. There. Not, not, not mm-hmm. that I'd expect they'd go... F- There's not really much they could go under, because I don't expect them to drop below Fire and Ice. But no. Uh, it is what it is. So, yeah, pretty straightforward top 10 in this case. And then if we look at Wednesday... Mm-hmm. Apparently there was a lot of trades and shit out uh, that day. Right, where is my... Where's the start of Wednesday? There it is. All right, what did you think the number one book was from Wednesday? I'm looking, I'm looking. 
Use I'm going to guess X-Men 29. I mean, that's correct. I was about yeah. to chastise you for using the same cheating hack every time, but yeah. I can't really argue when it got results. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, X-Men 29 is number one. Number two is not a Marvel book. Uh, number two is Transformers 3 uh, by Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer. So. Shoot, how come I'm not reading that? That was a great question. I don't know. But, I mean... Really? I mean, there's usually at least three Transformers books going. Do you usually read them? Or is it just because of the writer? No, because of Daniel Warren Johnson okay. and Mike Spicer. So, um, that was the team that was behind Do a Powerbomb. Ah, I see, I see. Uh, I wonder if Optimus Prime's jobbing people out. Is he... No? He's always going over, brother. I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a wrestling pun that mixes with Transformers and nothing is springing to mind. Diesel was right there. Ah, uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's, it's, even that's borderline, no, I don't. Yeah. Do the Transformers need fuel? Like a regular I, vehicle? I, I, I don't think so. I don't know, because you feel like it would be their blood. Right? Mm. Yeah, I suppose. I, I believe know. it's Energon, though. If I remember remember the lore right. It's been a while. <laughs> Uh, number three is Invincible Iron Man. Four is Amazing Spider Man. Five is Avengers. Six is Alpha Flight. Final issue of that mini series. Number mm-hmm. seven is Daredevil Four. Number eight is Thunderbolts. Start of a new mini series by uh, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. Number nine is Sentry issue one. Again, start of a mini series. And then number ten is Fantastic Four fourteen. So that's your top ten from Wednesday. So, no Star Wars, right? Did it, unless I missed it. Uh, not in the, in the top, top 10. 10. Uh, number 11 is a Star Wars yeah. book. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's just, just vanilla Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14 Star Wars Dark Droids. So there's a few Star Wars books, but they're all mm-hmm. out of the top 10, which I guess I'd really, for a time when Marvel first started publishing Star Wars books like a decade ago, they were big sellers, but it does seem mm-hmm. like... No, the the staples of Marvel Comics now sell better than Star Wars does yeah. uh, most weeks. They've, and sports is called regressing to the mean. Yeah. So, you know, they, they start out big, they'll have a big season, and then it'll drop back to average. It feels like what Star Wars is doing. But yeah, there was two of them on there, so I expected at least one, maybe. Um, so it's kind of a quieter week in Marvel. Oh, interesting. An Ultimate Spider-Man Omnibus Volume 3 came out. Uh, hmm. And I'm only saying that's interesting because back when I was still collecting physical hardcovers, I had Volume One Omnibus, and I had it for like years, and there was no sign of Volume Two. So yeah. I'm just happy to see that they eventually got to actually doing more volumes of that because it's probably going to have a fourth, I imagine. How, how many issues are in an Omnibus? Is it like fifty? It depends on the the Omnibus, yeah. but uh, I would suspect about forty plus. Yeah. Uh, but because uh, they already did like the death of Spider-Man omnibus, you know, so they mm-hmm. did volume one, they did the ending, which was like a small omnibus. So I, I suspect mm-hmm. the fourth one would close the gap, and the whole thing would yeah. be available in that format. But hmm. uh, my days of collecting omnibuses that I never get around to reading are behind me. <laughs> but yep. uh, that said, though, I did read volume one of Ultimate Spider-Man. I enjoyed it very much. But mm-hmm. uh, hey, all right, so. As you come with top 10, that's that done and dusted. We can get on to other things. For example, there was 
One more bit of movie news. Uh, the Superman movie keeps mm-hmm. uh, giving us little tidbits to talk about. Uh, although this thing is not directly about that movie, and uh, more so just about the universe in general, and that is that Sean Gunn, mm-hmm. yes, the brother of James Gunn, has you been... You mean Calendar Man? <laughs> ...has been cast uh, as Maxwell Lord in the new DC Universe. Uh, Deadline's article saying that he's not expected to appear in Superman Legacy, but he will be referenced, and then he will be in some of the other movies or shows afterwards. Hmm. I mean, I guess it's someone he knows will keep showing up because <laughs> it's his brother. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting because I can see Sean Gunn playing like a goofy Max Lord. Uh, I don't know if he has the the dark, but then again, I don't think we need telekinetic, you know, mastermind Max Lord uh, right away. You to know? be honest, like even the one in Wonder Woman eighty four, like they got an actor who could mm-hmm. do the menacing version of Maxwell Lord, mm-hmm. but he was still played really goofy. So yeah. It is almost a shame that we maybe aren't going that route. Unless they're... I mean, Sean Gunn, maybe he's want, he wants to prove himself in a different type of role. Yeah. It's entirely possible he wants to go more yeah. serious with it, but... Yeah. I haven't seen too much other stuff he's been in outside of uh, Guardians when he's Kraglin, uh, you know, with the Ravagers. So... Uh, and he was Calendar Man in, in the Suicide Squad. So, yeah. Interesting. I did see some rumors about uh, a Jor-El casting that got me very excited. Oh, what was the rumor? You know, uh, that uh, they're approaching Kurt Russell to be Jor-El. So I don't know if that would be in flashbacks. I don't know if that would be the uh, Fortress. But I don't know if my marriage will survive Kurt Russell in a Superman movie. So, (laughs) you know. Why does she not like Kurt Russell? Uh, That's the story. She likes Kurt Russell perfectly fine, but anytime I've asked her... If she wants to watch, say, Big Trouble in Little China or The Thing or literally anything with Kurt Russell in it, and she'll say no, and then I'll go, why, why do you hate Kurt Russell? And mm-hmm. now it's become a, she doesn't hate Kurt Russell, she just doesn't want to watch it. Uh, it took us three years to finally watch The Thing uh, after me doing this stupid gimmick. So, and, and now, now it's around. Okay. So if, if, yeah, if he shows up, then uh, I'll be very excited. I do love Kurt Russell, though. Like, uh, he, he's a high point in Sky High, where he's essentially playing a Superman-esque character. So, him playing Jarrell, I think, I think he could do it. Oh yeah, I don't see why he couldn't do it. It's, uh, I guess the the link there is that Gunn worked with them before in one of the Marvel movies, so mm-hmm. he has mm-hmm. his number. <laughs> I, yeah. I assume. Uh, yeah. Well, and I'm sure too. If it is Jarrell, it's not like it's you know, it's not Pocket where. You know, you would assume they're in the movie a lot. Because, again, I'm assuming that Gunn's doing a more traditional approach to Jor-El. And that would be, you know, either flashbacks mm. or Fortress, you know, hologram, whatever. Yeah. Also, so, Pac-Hen may already be dead. I mean, that's entirely possible yeah. as well. Yeah. That's it. Him as Pac-Hen, too, I would not be mad at. He's got a kind of... I know he's not Midwestern, but he has that Midwestern kind of folksy vibe that I can mm. see. But, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. we, we keep getting news about uh, Superman Legacy, uh, so we'll, <laughs> it, it, it's it's weird because obviously I'm a bit more hopeful for it than a lot of the other things that are coming. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like I just I'm in a stage where I just I can't be excited about any of the movies for a bit. Like mm-hmm. I just nah. Maybe yeah. if a trailer comes out and excites me, that's cool. But mm-hmm. for now, I'm just taking it in and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
I don't have much to say or rave about, I guess. Until they cast someone really stupid in a role or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, so far we, we have uh, our Superman, our Lois, our Lex, our Jimmy. Uh, now, it seemingly, we have Max Lord. Has there been any other roles? Am I forgetting any? Uh, there might, I don't know if there's other roles been cast. There might be, but there was yeah. definitely some stuff. Because Guy Gardner's going to be in it, if I remember correctly. Right. And there's a couple other like random right. heroes that are going to be cameoing. or what, I mean, I don't know if it's a cameo or an extended role. Yeah. G- given it's a Superman movie, I expect it's a cameo. But Well, given that it's Max Lord and Guy Gardner, I'm wondering if there's going to be a Justice League International vibe to, the, to this. You That's know. possible. Possible. Mm. Uh, we we shall we shall see. But uh, yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. That, that's that's mm. the news. I, I guess everything is just kind of quiet just now because we're building up to to Christmas. Uh, I feel like we've went yeah. several weeks now without any actual comic book news. Uh, I don't think there's been anything mm-hmm. since the last solicits to even to 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 speculate over. So yeah. Oh well, uh, there you go. Which uh. Yeah, we've not talked about what our uh, timetable is for the Christmas season yet, but uh, have no fears, folks. You know, if there is a delay of an episode, like there sometimes is at Christmas, uh, like the 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 week's books will get done, and the annual episode will be somewhere uh, not too far behind. Uh, but we, we've yet to sit down and map out what those days are, especially if we're going to try and squeeze Connor onto the the annual yeah. episode at the very least. But he he, uh, I think he's going to be on next week. I think. I think he said he was free next week, but we'll uh, we'll see. If there's a Wales Connor here when we, we turn on the podcast next week, you'll, I'm sure you'll. So go, yeah, if he's gonna be here. I can't make it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I do miss Connor, and because of the schedule he's keeping, I don't run into him online like I used to. Mm. Um, so I do kind of do kind of miss him, just a little bit. Don't tell him though. You guys yeah. don't. Please don't. Can't have him having self-esteem. Oh, no, no. No self-esteem for Connor. That's, that's, that's foolish. And you guys think we're being cruel, but the last time he had self-esteem, it, it almost caused the end. You know? Like, we just can't. He's like a mythological being. <laughs> last time he got self-esteem, a, a fateful dog uh, lunged out yeah. <laughs> to, to make, correct the course of, of destiny yet again. Ugh. <sighs> uh, Yes. Uh, so funny. So we actually have a lot of books to talk about, so I think we'll just yeah. uh, get into things. Uh, so we'll kick off with Titans Beast World Tour Metropolis, issue one. Uh, various creators, we'll talk about who's on what story, because there's three stories in this as we mm-hmm. as we go through it. And, you know, the last time we had some kind of event, it was the Lazarus Rain stuff, right? That was the... Mm-hmm. Or Lazarus Rising was the name of it. Uh, yep. No, that was Nightmare Stuff with uh yeah insomnia. yeah there was that but like they were because night terrors kind of took a break right it wasn't like this where i feel like these are these are where we're going to get a lot of the beast world stuff that's not titans and nightwing oh sure uh, no, sure, sure. The main but, story. no but the reason why i'm bringing that up though is because mm-hmm. i was absolutely do i swear i was absolutely measurable <laughs> reading all of those night terrors tie-in books i don't even like the main story on night mm-hmm. terrors uh, ultimately yeah. after a couple issues but the the tie-ins were it was it was painful getting through them and i think by contrast i really liked beast world issue one i i thought it's one of the best mm-hmm. event issue ones we've had in a long time i was super into it i'm looking forward to issue two i'm looking forward to the next titans issue 
this tie-in issue was a chore it was pointless i cannot fathom why anyone should want to read it i i, I have little recommendation to give i, I have one we had a fun bibbo story I knew, I knew you were going to defend the Bibbo story, but I just, it's just, <laughs> yeah, like, it's just nothing, but it's just, it's fluff. It's, not, it's no, a nothing, yeah, it's yeah. a nothing story that could have been a backup somewhere else, like, in, you know. Uh, but also, yeah, the- also, Matt, Matt, can I just point out here as well, there's three stories in this, right? The first one at one point has, a, has an editor's note that says, this takes place after Titan's Beast World yeah, issue uh-huh. two. And I thought to myself, that's strange, but okay. Then I got to the second story. As an editor's note, this takes place after Titans Beast World issue three. Three? Three, yeah. motherfucker? What? <laughs> so, oh, there's a swear. Swear jar. And then, then the third story also says after issue two. So I'm like, we're getting this tie-in after issue one, what? and all three stories take place after at least issue two, My- and one of them takes place after three. Like, st- this is nonsense. Why? Why do it this way? Not that it seems to matter, because nothing in the story. Because no. I was, I was worried it was going to spoil something, and it didn't. I don't think. No. But no. Although it just why? Why not wait until after those to drop this? Why? Why now? Oh. Because yeah. I, I could get Waller. The Waller one can happen. Like we'll talk about that one when we get there. You know, that's almost like a side quest to Beast World. Um. This though, because it's it's characters and the spores and the, but also none of the spores. There's no consistency with how they react to people from story to story. So that was weird. Yeah, you think editorial would try to line them up to, hey, this is what's going on in the main story. Let's try to keep it into that. This feels so tacked on to what's actually mm-hmm. happening in the main story. It's just an excuse to sell some extra one-shots with stories yeah. that have nothing of merit. They don't even feel like they're following the actual rules that the main story set up. Mm-hmm. So the first story, called Primal Pain, is by Nicole Maines and Steve Orlando. Now, Steve Orlando is a writer that uh, I have a history of not liking very much. So yeah. that put me in a bit of a, a funk as soon as I saw the name. Yeah. And Nicole Maines being there means we're getting Dreamer. Yeah, that's all that means. It means we're getting a Dreamer, yep. which is fine. I don't necessarily mind Dreamer, yeah. but... Uh, so, the the one thing I do mind about Dreamer is I'm not... How do their powers work? That, I, there's no there's no clarity. And, and I feel like I've read every Dreamer appearance because of reading these tie-ins. And that... that episode... <laughs> that This story was so confusing with the stuff that was going on. Like, yeah, at a certain I, point, I went into autopilot. Here's the thing. I actually don't mind the premise of how this starts, right? The whole idea being mm-hmm. is that ever since Lazarus Rain fell on her, her powers have been acting weird where she doesn't have to actually go to sleep to get dreams anymore. She's just seeing visions of the future, mm-hmm. sometimes just seconds before they happen. And that right. sort of is set up with her. She, you know, she's having coffee with a friend and that's all like being set up mm-hmm. and then there's fires around the city but they're not really there so dreamer suits up and he's like okay i have to stop i have to protect this neighborhood before all the fires start and that's the the story of the thing um but from there it did start to get a little bit i don't know just kind of wonky like tr- keeping track of when sh- we were seeing something that was in the future mm-hmm. and something that's happening right now because once john shows up and dreamer's saying hey john this is going to happen we need to evacuate yeah from there it, it, it kind of became a bit of a bit of a jumble and I, honestly at this point i was thinking what does this have to do with beast world that, that was my thought like halfway through the yep. story 
And then it does tie in loosely because Livewire shows up in an animal form. And I'm like, okay, yeah. all right. So there's someone who's been infected with a with a Beast Boy starfish. Okay, mm-hmm. there you go. Or spores, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we get we get them fighting Monster Livewire, which yeah. is fine. There's several pages of action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I found the art to be a little on the messy side, uh, particularly with yeah. the, the layouts. I didn't think the layouts flowed very well. Uh, oh, and it all just no. kind of builds up to the cliffhanger, which is Amanda Waller seeing Dreamer on like social media and going, aha, mm-hmm. found you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I, I liked Fico Osio when, when he was doing um, Hawkman. Uh, that art, it was very good. It, it matched the, you know, the kind of epicness of, of that run that Vanity did. Here, though, it just, like you said, it was jumbled. And the layouts were kind of messy and very chaotic and not in a good way. Not like it was meant to make us feel like, you know, caught up in all this action and kind of lost. And it made it for a hard read. That's right. At a certain point, I went to autopilot and just started kind of skimming. Um, I and, get that, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not the only art I'll be complaining about this week, actually, but it's, it's the first <laughs> one that I'm complaining about. Yep. Uh, yeah, it says at the end, Dreamer will return against Amanda, Amanda Waller in Action Comics 1060, and I'm like, are you threatening me, comic book? Because this sounds like a threat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't mind Dreamer. I just... Once Dreamer starts going I, through the dream, I, the I, dream world stuff, like, I just want some clarity, because I could see why Waller would would see... A benefit in Dreamer, right? You have sure, kind sure. of a precog at this point. I, um, I, I don't mean Dreamer as a concept, yeah. but all of the yeah. stories we've had a Dreamer recently, uh, these little backups or tie-in issues or whatever they've been, haven't really done that much for me. They've just been fine. Yeah. Uh, with this one specifically, though, like the fact that they're teasing a continuation of this in some form, mm-hmm. that's not even related to Beast World, it's just something that's coming yeah. in a backup later down the line. I'm like, well, I know what backup I'm not reading. <laughs> well, we'll get to that in the third story too, because it felt like, I felt like this, the first one and the third one both have kind of tacked on Beast World elements, yes. but they're just meant to serve whatever's coming next. And that, that's not a good, I don't think for something like this where you're trying to tie into this event and give these other characters story points in it to make it feel like part of a bigger universe. I don't think that helps out. I think it hinders. No, I, I like, honestly, this is just a waste of money, frankly. The only people that I would say should even consider wanting to actually get this would be if like Dreamer's your favorite character and you just have mm-hmm. to consume every time something changes in Dreamer's story because it does set up this power thing that's changing with her. Yeah. So I guess that if you really, really, really care about that, then that's something. But that's really the only thing I can say about it because th- then we go into the second story, which is your your Bibble story, uh, which is Dan Jurgens. Dan Jurgens. Yeah, mm-hmm. with Anthony uh, Mark, Mark Marquez on the, yep. on the art. Uh, so it's a lot more cartoony, and this story is about how Jimmy's turned into a giant turtle uh, as part of Beast, you know, Beast World's ongoing shenanigans. Well, and and I get it because Jimmy's been the Turtle Boy, the Kirby stories. We get it. Yeah. Here's my thing, though. <sighs> Do you think any any other characters, especially civilians, when they get infected mm-hmm. by the Beast Boy spores? 
Do you think they're going to become kaiju-sized, other than this? So far, no, because <laughs> Livewire, right? Livewire was kind of like a like a snake, right? Uh, that she was more like, of a bird, I would say. She had wings. More of a bird? Okay. I thought I think she did. Then, so. I'm going back now. You're making yeah. me question myself. Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I could say, like, that makes sense, kind of like this, you know? Oh, no, like, okay. Like a, like, not wings, yeah. more of a more of a lizard, but she's got arms and claws. So arms and claws, okay. Yeah. So reptilian then, which which I could I could see the the electricity and and the flowiness with, with that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I get it. Jimmy the Turtle Boy. I just was like kind of bummed out that that's the route that we're going because it's not very imaginative. I mean, I don't mind like, him turn into a turtle. I just don't understand why he giant. Yeah, why he's a hundred foot tall. Right, and that, that's what I mean by the turtle boy. That's the, the Jimmy Olsen thing, as he's a giant turtle, not just... If he was just a, like a Ninja Turtle-sized guy running around, and Bobo had to wrestle him to the ground, I think I'm going to enjoy the story even more. And I like kaiju stuff, but, you know... It's just... Yeah, street it's, level would have been fine. Yeah, it just it feels like, oh, this is a cute story we thought as a backup uh, for one of these mm-hmm. tie-ins, but... That's all it is. It's just a cute backup. Uh, I I don't really find mm-hmm. as much here that to really enjoy. And I feel like you probably mm-hmm. got a kick out of uh, the scientist showing up with the Newsboy Legion uh, mm-hmm. uh, hover yeah, car. Yeah, so it was but... Doctor Emil uh, Hamilton and stuff. So like again, it's Jurgens doing his Superman stuff. We we all know Jurgens has an affection for Superman, and, and you can feel it throughout. And it it did feel like this is tied to Beast World more than. Uh, the first story mm. just because of Jimmy is the turtle. But again, this just could have been, it, it could have not been a sport. It could have been dark side or, you know, some apocalyptic thing that turned Jimmy. Um, and it, the story still would have worked. You still yeah. have Dr. Hamilton coming with the newsboy car. That looks like the fantastic four car. You still have Bibbo, you know, trying to, you know, maintain, you know, the, his respect the, for the Superman through the city. The only thing that would change is that Power Girl mm-hmm. shows up at one point and yep. she's like yep. a griffin or something. Yeah, something like a firebird, like a flamebird, <laughs> which is weird because that's not really her gimmick, but all right, uh, I'm not going to complain. I don't know. It just, like, if this had been a backup in a regular book, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have read it. I'd, I'd have taken one look at the first page and went, nah, I'm good. But because <laughs> like this is a tie-in and the whole point is to read the tie-ins, yeah. I, I just kind of felt like I had to. And I'm like, oh, I'm not into this at all. Um, I will say this. When we get to the third story, I did enjoy the art in the third story. Mm-hmm. The art does take a big leap up. Um, yeah. Uh, Edwin Salmon. Or no, Gammon, not Salmon. Gammon. <laughs> <laughs> Salmon. Uh, uh, but yeah, and this is... Uh, hold on, let me read in here. So it's, it's Joshua Williamson's writing along with uh, Zipporah Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, te- the font was quite small. I had to lean in like an old man. Um <laughs> Because it's a two-page spread, so the text is really shrunk down on mm-hmm. this uh, window. But, um, you know, this is Lois sort of manning the fort at the Fortress of Solitude, mm-hmm. uh, talking mm-hmm. to Superman uh, and Kalex and, and getting a lay of the land. And a bunch of monster people, or animal people, maybe a better way of putting mm-hmm. that, uh, are outside the fortress and are coming. So so Lois and Kalex have to sort of stand guard uh, Superman zooms in, and you know, I, I like I enjoyed this the most out of the three stories, probably just because of the art. Uh, the only mm-hmm. thing really of consequence that happens is that a bunch of the starfish go for Superman, a bunch of the Beast Boy starfish, and he's able to like fight them off. But Lois is like, "Hey, that's really dangerous. Even putting yourself in that position, if they take you over, then that's kind of a big problem." 
but as you said, this is really just like a... It's almost inconsequential that the Beast World stuff's happening, because all it's really about is the fact that something deterred these starfish, right? Like, he's like, hey, that's weird. Mm -hmm. They they just kind of, like, gave up or whatever. And we find out in the last page that it's because Brainiac had put, like, some sort of, like, you know, little device on him, a little chip or something. Like like a nano Yeah. Like, yeah. And he doesn't want Superman to be taken over because he's got plans for Superman uh, and his action comic story next year. <laughs> and that's that's yeah. all it is. So, so okay. Yeah. Just just the logic of the story, too, is like the Fortress of Solitude is meant to be near the Arctic Circle, right? And mm-hmm. that, that's pretty remote. That's why it's there. It's the Fortress of Solitude. Where the hell did all these people come from? Uh, like, and, I mean, I, and I know you could say beast creatures, right? But, like, that's covering a lot of ground. You know, and what? Well, this is after issue two, huh? It does say after issue two, so maybe there's more context for this that we don't know. Maybe yet. there's more context to to stuff there. But I was gonna say, like, there's not a lot of people storming the Fortress of Solitude. That that was my my one. But yeah, <laughs> the, mean, the art was pretty good. They all turned into fish creatures, so they could swim. I don't know, that's yeah, the, that's, that's fine. That's, that's the only or they're thing birds and they flew there or because birds, it is yeah. the. Yeah, you know, they're drawn to Superman and, and the Fortress because the Fortress has, like, this energy component to it, right? Like, um, but yeah, and then Brainiac shows up in, in the zap of the that. Because uh, I got uh, concerned when I saw the, the Brainiac stuff, like the, the three dots mm-hmm. on Clark's head. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. What's that about? And then it almost zaps like a like a, uh, like an internal, you know, like when Batman, when someone tries to go for his mask. Yeah, yeah. Right, and he's knocked out, and it electrifies him. That's like what it does to these spores. And I thought, okay, that was interesting. That's some, and then you see Brainiac looking. Yeah, so I think the problem is though is that you can boil this all down to that's the only thing that's important in the whole story is that mm-hmm. oh, Brainiac chipped him with something to protect him because Brainiac's got plans. So here's a teaser for yep. for the Joshua yeah. Williamson Superman action crossover that's coming in spring. And like, okay, that's mm-hmm. fine, but it just kind of feels a bit hollow. Yeah. So. For sure. That's a shame. You know, so some of Lois stuff are reacting to the beasts and, you know, to Superman, which I do like her having to remind him, like, hey, if you go down, that that's a, another piece that we have to fight, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the art. I mean, that, that's, mm-hmm. I can say that for it, at least. Yeah. There's some pretty visuals yeah. in there. Um, yeah, I, I guess yeah. I, I guess that's it. Uh, I, I suppose maybe, I will say Lois looks slightly Asian. In this art, it's the only <laughs> critique I could maybe give it. Let me let me look. <laughs> it, it reminded I, I read me this early in the week. It so. reminded me of how like uh, artists will draw, say Linda in Wally's stories. Mm-hmm. I was getting those kind of vibes, uh, but it's Lois. It's not a big deal. Just just a minor. Yeah, but... I can kind of see that, yeah. especially on the on the page. It's it's got all the yellow. And Superman's flying towards yeah over the water, the right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could see how, you, how you're saying that. Yeah, she doesn't like that's vaguely Lois Lane. Um, yeah, but I think yeah, I think it sticks out especially when she's in the same panel as Superman because he just looks like Superman. Yeah. He looks normal. Yeah, and she looks like for whatever reason she looks like she's 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 Asian, which is not a big deal mm-hmm. except for the fact that she just doesn't. But. That- that it, yeah, that's not Lois. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, so um, I don't know what, what the uh, 
you know, it, it, the art is very pleasing to look at, though, despite mm-hmm. like maybe that little nitpick of uh, someone looking slightly incorrect. But hey, yeah. Oh God, who's the artist? Uh, it's very, it's very reminiscent of uh, Lionel U. Uh, I, I can see that. Here. I can see that comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got the yeah. the way that the shading and the color works together in very clean lines throughout. Um, but yeah, no, the art was the, the standout. This art on this story was the standout of this issue. That was otherwise, um, I was like, oh man, why did I read this? <laughs> I mean, I know why, but like definitely, I was like, I just wasted my break reading this at work cool mm. it was that thing as well i was starting to read my books and i was like oh i've got like i've got four regular books but i've got the two beast world like tie-ins mm-hmm. and i'm like okay okay so I'll, I'll start with those and then i started reading this and i went oh yeah it's like a 40 50 page anthology style issue okay well I'm, i guess i'm glad i'm getting this out of the way first then and then it just proceeded to be something that i didn't like <laughs> for yep. almost the entire thing so Real doubt. It was a real shitty way to start the start the week for 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 the comics. I, I will say that. Um, so, hey, there you go. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's World Tour Metropolis. Hey, uh, we'll do it. Cancelled. The one upside to this is that maybe this is the bottom of the barrel, and that the rest of them. <laughs> We can only go up from here, maybe. <laughs> maybe yeah. not even this week, but we'll get there. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, for ongoing weeks. But uh, before we get yeah. to the next one, what were you rating uh, World Tour Metropolis? So because I, I enjoyed the second story a little bit more than you because of the Bibbo factor, um, I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10. That's I, I can understand and respect it, but I'm giving it a 3. There you go. That that's uh, that's how I felt about this issue. I figured you. I kind of gauge you at around the four, mm. just so that's where I, I went that's a where... little over. But yeah. All right, Titans Beast World Waller Rising issue one. Chuck Brown rating with uh, Karen Grant on the yeah. on the art. So this is not anthology style. This is just a a big one shot and. Mm-hmm. You sort of alluded to this earlier, that it's kind of a side quest, and it very much is. So here's here's the thing mm-hmm. about this, is that it starts off feeling very separate to Beast World, and that it's not really dealing with the Beast part of it. However, it is dealing with Doctor Hate. And I was having mm-hmm. this feeling like halfway through, that I'm like, oh, this feels like they're really going up against Doctor Hate in this, and maybe this might be a central reading. You know, whether or not I think it's well done, is it, we'll, I'll mm-hmm. get to that in a minute. <laughs> but even, even if I don't like this, Arguably, this may actually have consequences and be relevant in something that's good to know for the the main story later on, for whatever the outcome is with Doctor Hate. Yeah. Because the whole thing here is that Doctor Hate's went rogue from Amanda Waller, and she enlists uh, her nephew uh, to to go and track him down. Yeah, Dead Eye. Dead Eye. And we we get a bunch of other characters kind of getting involved, and notably all black characters. And the end of the issue kind of mm-hmm. sets up that oh hey, maybe all these black characters are going to form their own. If not team, then certainly some kind of like uh, like they said a network. Network, you know? yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's cool. That's that's all very good. Mm-hmm. However, any hopes I had of this having consequence were completely dashed because by the end of this issue, all that's happened is that Doctor Hate's beaten enough. Which, by the way, having him be beaten in any fashion this early in the story, when we're not actually at the big part where he's going to pose the threat to the main characters yet, is kind of weird. But also. 
the simple fact that at the end of the story he's just back under amanda waller again and a waller's like hey you work for me again don't get out of line so if i hadn't yeah. read this and i was just reading the main story i would just never know that he went rogue and then had to be reined back in i would just continue as if he had just been working for her the whole time this this kind of feels how she got dr hate to work if we didn't know from reading the tom taylor stuff or the Josh Williamson stuff, that Dr. Hate was kind of a character she created. Mm. It was almost like she found Dr. Hate and is forcing them to work for her. Uh, but that's not it at all, right? So... No. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it just it felt like by the end, it kind of neatly tied it in a bow so that none of it mattered. So that none of it is going to impact anything in the main story. And I once again felt like I wasted my time. On top of that, I found this to be quite wordy at points. There's some pages that are just riddled with boxes and speech bubbles and Mm -hmm. thought bubbles. The art, I think, is... Like, I think the art's pretty much a mess in this, in a lot of ways. The art's not bad, the colouring is. I feel like okay, the I, art okay. The, I, I can see, I can see that argument because the, right. the the thing that I was going to get to is that uh-huh. there's so many pages in this, especially once more actiony things start happening, mm-hmm. where I was struggling to tell what was going on because yep. there was the way things were overlapping each other, the way the the coloring's very aggressive. But I could mm-hmm. I could get the argument that it is maybe the coloring mostly that, that's the problem yeah. rather than anything else. So I had to read this twice. Because it did not sink in because the, it felt like what I was reading in the boxes wasn't matching the art. So it wasn't sinking in. They weren't working in unison. So like this whole thing with Dr. Hate pulling from this other realm that's called the kingdom. That's kind of like a hybrid of the green and the red. Um, yeah, it's and, like another dimension, but it's relative yeah. to you know our world that the green and the red is. Yeah, right. it's... it's... And, and and Dr. Hate is, is attacking these heroes to feed off of their energy, right? And then replacing them with these creatures from the green that are like, you know, twisted versions and stuff. And it's just like a lot of the art that was going on the page wasn't, to me, wasn't matching the words on the page. And I just, I was like, what is going on here? Um, and then finally towards the end, everything starts coming. Like the art gets a little bit more clear. Uh, and so I don't know if that was a choice or if that's the choice. Why? Why, uh, you know, why, what's what I'm looking for? Like, ob- obfuscate everything and make it so unclear. Like, I just, it's like handicapping the uh, reader for I'm, no reason. My thing here is that there's too many characters. I think mm-hmm. it, there's too many characters to juggle. So we're jumping around a lot. And I think that makes it a tougher read as well. I also think that at this point, we've barely established what Dr. Hate can actually do. So all these mm-hmm. weird things that he's doing in this issue and the way the art's representing it with like all these like shadow demon monsters coming out of mm-hmm. him to attack people. I, I just, I'm like, I feel like the main story's not established any of this yet. Yeah. So I, I just found myself getting confused as to what he could actually do and what he was doing, why he was doing it. I mean... We get that he wants to, you know, bring out the Lords of Chaos and, you know, he got a taste of chaos when, when Beast Boys mm-hmm. did his thing issue one and that's why he's, he's went off book and starting to do all this. But it just it felt like it was hitting me with a lot of big concepts. You know, you've got this place, the kingdom. You've got characters mm-hmm. that are all being sucked there via Dr. Hate's magic or whatever. Um, 
bringing Vixen into the story is quite smart, I think, because Vixen, of yep. course, is tied to the Red. She's tied to animals. It makes sense that she could mm-hmm. be a big player in the story. That's really cool. But we, well, and, we, and Black Manta is a, a seafaring guy, and they're starfish. Yeah, sure. Like there, there's reasons why it makes <laughs> sense that some of them should be here. Like they're they're. Mm-hmm. There, there's some logic to it, but as I'm reading this, and we're, we're bouncing around all these different characters, and we get to a point where Deadeye's been tasked with setting off an explosive that'll kill the kingdom, but then he's convinced not to do that because, oh, this is actually like a really natural place that's supposed to exist, and we have to protect it from mm-hmm. things like Dr. Hate and Amanda Waller, and obviously he makes that choice by the end. Um, I just... I felt like this issue threw a lot of big, heavy concept things out of me and didn't do an amazing job actually making it, like, digestible as the story goes plays out. You know, like, it, I was having to stop and just think about what it was saying to me constantly just to keep my finger on the pulse of what the actual progression of the story was. I felt like I was actively mm-hmm. having to work the whole time just to sort of keep yeah. it in my head. Okay, this is what's happening here. These are these characters and they're, they're jumping over there and now they're all working together here and they're going to fight Dr. Hate. And honestly, one of the big problems with the art, which I don't think is a coloring issue, is that I found that Dr. Hate's helmet was so inconsistently drawn that yeah. towards the end of the issue, when he's lying on the table with Amanda Waller, like I got from context, this is obviously Dr. Hate, but I mm-hmm. didn't recognize him visually. I didn't think it was him lying on the table. The the, the helmet at this point just looks like a a generic blob of metal. Like I'm I'm not seeing like an evil version of Doctor Fate's helmet here. So yeah, I just uh, it's it's barely there. Like you can kind of see the eye stuff, but yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, just the shadows are they're too heavy. I had a very unpleasant time reading this. I thought this was much like the other one. I mean, I appreciated that it at least was one big story that had a beginning, middle, and end, but it still felt pointless by the end. I still found it a chore to get through because the art made it hard to follow what was going on because the mm. the dialogue and narration was overly wordy at times. I I just uh, I just I, yeah. I I just didn't enjoy the craft of it all that much. So, so I'm going back and looking now, and if, if like, the, the page that's after um, Black Manta gets attacked by one of the spores, and he's growing up huge, mm-hmm. um, you go to the next page that has Vixen, and it looks like Deadeye, and it's just a mess of stuff on the page. And I feel like there's too many over, like, it's almost like there's too many layers at play here yeah it's like it's like they're going for like a, an explosion of sorts where everything's going right. up the way from it but it, it's just like i don't even know yeah. what i'm looking at really <laughs> yeah and so yeah it was you know the idea of this that i, I do like i do like that it, it introduced this idea of the kingdom which is kind of like a nexus of of the different um what, what were those called uh parliaments which mm-hmm. is a great concept in and of itself and um, but I don't understand why destroying that would bring about the Lords of Chaos to Earth. That's just one, one thing that was another unclear. Uh, also, Deadeye, I remember that character showing up in, it was the same, it was the same Lazarus planet issue that introduced the Vigil. Um, but it did not sink in because I couldn't remember where I'd, I'd heard this character before. 
Um, so being reminded here, and I just feel like the, the psychic powers at play here a little bit too, too amorphous, you know? Um, like you have all these other characters and it's him. That's the one that, you know, is, is doing, having the most impact. Um, a little bit weird. Yeah, I'm but, just I'm just know. looking at how they actually take down Doctor Hate here as well. Basically, mm-hmm. someone just Black Manta presumably f- throws a trident at him. That's it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like you're 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 kind of making me think this character's lamer than I should be thinking right now, going into the rest well, of the main story. And what does the Nightmare Stone have to do with Doctor Hate doing all this? That was supposed to be a big deal, right? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, because the Nightmare Stone was the that was the the tag, the epilogue. Waller gets her hands on it, and then that's where Doctor Hate is made. Um, okay. Um, don't you know? But this just seems like it's an evil helm of Naboo. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It definitely makes him look like a chump because I forgot about the trident part. Because there's yeah. so much going on. Because okay, I, I was looking for like what takes them down, and I was like, oh, "This is yeah. all just like ripping the big starfish thing off of uh, mm-hmm. Black Manta." Like, where is it? And it's like several pages back, and they're they're yeah. all just sort of towering victorious over him with it, and he's got a trident sticking in his head. And I'm like, "Oh, yeah. they just whipped him, basically." Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I think I'm probably going to want to just mostly forget this when I'm reading the rest of the main story because I, I don't imagine it's going to help my enjoyment of it or the, the threat yeah. of that character. So, I don't know. Super super frustrating, uh, I thought this mm-hmm. was. I, I just I just didn't think it was a well-constructed comic book. Um, yeah. I think I think the concepts were, were fine enough. Like mm-hmm. What I was getting from them when I could understand what was going on seemed interesting. Yeah. I just didn't enjoy reading that. I, I just thought it was a chore to actually go page to page and to pay attention to what the conversation was bouncing around. So Yeah, I, I also like the inclusion of the African Batwing. The David's... What's his name? Zavibe? I can't remember. But he's the, the Batman character that shows up in this. Mm-hmm. And then that goes back to New 52, and it's one of the stronger titles that started. Uh, I forget even who worked on it, but... Uh, he came out of the shadows of, of Batman Inc. Uh, and he was a cop in Africa in this very corrupt area. Um, so having him show back up, I, I did like that. Showcasing these these other characters like Vixen and even Black Manta. Because Chuck Brown also wrote that Black Manta miniseries that came out earlier in the year. Yeah, um, which sadly I also kinda, had to drop quite yeah, quickly. But Yeah. So you can tell that Chuck Brown has an affection for Black Manta because I felt like... He was kind of well developed. Um, you know, he stands out amongst all these other characters. Uh, but, but yeah, this was. What, also, why was why was Valzad and Red Tornado introduced? That that was the other thing. I forgot that we ended up in the Phantom Zone at one point. Yeah, they, well, they get pulled. Well, so, not they. I should say Val mm-hmm. gets pulled out of the Phantom Zone because Doctor Hate mm-hmm. wants them, and they were left in there from the Superman. Uh, right. You know, uh, John miniseries that we had a right. while ago. Uh, Lois, the Red Tornado from Earth Two, was left in the Phantom Zone, so Val mm-hmm. wants to get her back, but Val was pulled out because he's one of the characters that Doctor Hate wanted for the Kingdom and whatever his plan was. Yeah. So again, another super mystery thing that happened for reasons. Mm. But yeah. 
just too many characters uh, by the mm. end it doesn't feel like it matters in the main story and if anything you've just made one of the villains look like a chump so I, yeah. I don't like i don't think it accomplishes all that much in terms of the storytelling uh and i found it a chore to go through actual page to page uh <laughs> sadly and i wish i wish it didn't because conceptually like I, I think the kingdoms kingdom stuff sounds fine i, I think the yeah. the, the general ideas it was playing with seemed all right i, I just mm-hmm. I, I couldn't enjoy any of it so yeah. All right, Matt, what are you giving uh, Titans Beast World Waller Rising issue one? I'm going to give this a... I'm going to give it a five still. Just, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I will give this one a five because I think while I really didn't like it, it did at least have like a full story on its own. Mm-hmm. And there's some concepts that are that are interesting. But... I, I do think it's it was a it was a chore to get through, uh, and I'm glad I'm glad there's not an issue too. <laughs> I'll just I'll put it that way. Yeah, I'm glad that we're out of here, and I know we have some coming up, you know, and other. Uh, ho- hopefully, they're better than this though. Yeah. Onward and upward. Yeah, we have other creative teams on the other books, so hopefully, we mm-hmm. end up liking them more. But I really didn't like either of those mm-hmm. tie-ins this week. Yeah. Uh, so, Batman 140, Legacy number 905. This is Chip Zarsky writing with Jorge Jimenez on the art. Uh, not to start off on a, a parade of negativity this week. Uh, that's, uh, that said, uh, though, I probably did enjoy Batman more than either of those tie-ins. Yeah, I, I did love Bruce versus Zern R's. Like, that was an interesting thing. I just feel like... I feel like this is a backdoor sequel to The Night... But it's not good in any of the ways that the night was good, you know. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's really descending into because Batman. Well, my my big, I mean, I I just like that he's he's doing that sequel to the night stuff as well because it just feels kind of shoehorned mm-hmm. in. But my big thing is that I really did not like that second arc where we're in the other Earth, and I feel mm-hmm. like we're just doubling down on the multiverse stuff, and I could not be more sick of multiverse stories at this point. So yeah, technically. It's all in his head, but all these mm-hmm. different Zuri and R's were bas- basically clung on to him as he was meeting all the other universe Batman mm-hmm. in issue 900. So they're all here. So you got the Michael Keaton Zuri and R, you've got this, the Adam West Zuri and R, Darnate Returns animated series, all these different Zuri and R's. Yeah, Red, uh, the Red Mist, the, the vampire version. Yeah, yeah. So they're yeah. they're all here. They've all latched on to him because he met all the other versions of Batman. So he's fighting them in his mind as Zuranar is in control of his body mm-hmm. and is trying to kill the Joker. The one thing I'll say I kind of like is I do like the idea that the Joker is excited that Batman's got an edge. He's like, oh, you're actually yeah. trying to kill me today. Oh, like, yeah, I like that because that, that plays into what I like about the characterization of the yeah. Joker. So I appreciate yeah, that much. That's the most I liked of Chatty Joker because, you know, we've, I, Ch- I love Sinister Joker. Oh, but... Ch- did you say Chatty Joker? Chatty, yeah. Uh, you said you Chatty. No. No, uh, like, as in Chip Zars, like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I thought yeah. I said Chatty no. Joker. I'm like, what? No, chat, Chatty, because he's yeah. he's awful talky in this one. You know, he's not that dark, sinister one that we've been getting in the King and Garrods. You know. Um, oh yes. So yes. a good comic book. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, but he he was kind of here where he's like, oh yeah, I like this. Yeah, hit me. You know, uh, that was that was nice. But yeah, all the different Zernars, which I do love the concept of the Batman and Zernar, just as like this backup that in case things go sideways, Bruce can operate. But I feel like we just beat the dead horse, like with with a baseball bat at this point. 
Um, and then we get to the ending, and it's like, ugh, what are we doing? Oh, we'll get there. Uh, yeah. I, I want to... So the whole thing is is that there's after he's been fighting the Joker for a bit, Lucy, the, the, the French burglar who you mm-hmm. know, trained him and had a bit of a potential romance with him in the night, uh, she's like, hey, Bruce, what are you doing? This isn't you. This darkness is overtaking you. And Bruce kind of like gains control for a minute to like talk to her mm-hmm. and says that he's trapped in his own mind. But then Zura and R takes control again and tells her to to go because uh, he's got uh, some some Joker to to be killing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, the big thing is inside his head, Batman makes a labyrinth so that all the Zura and R's get lost and can't find them, which, okay, sure. I, I, yeah. I, my, my big thing here is I just, I don't like the concepts that Zarsky's playing with. Like, and mm-hmm. it's, all, it's almost like hard to critique in a weird way because I, I can critique some of it and we've been doing that as we've been talking about the issues. Mm-hmm. But I think fundamentally, between like the second arc where he's in the alternate universe and then this story, I just don't like the idea. I don't like the idea yeah. of what he's doing, and it's it's making mm-hmm. it very tough to get invested in anything. There's other things that are more not objective because they're definitely still subjective. But yeah. the stuff like not liking Batman's voice and stuff like that; those are separate complaints. Mm-hmm. But th- th- this is the big thing for me: is I just yeah so. Oh, anyway, how did this end? Because I I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, so oh, yes. Bruce oh. ends up he, pass, he, yeah Bruce ends up like passing out from fighting all the Zernars. Yes, and he you know and he's just out of reach, and he wakes up and he's like on a table and oh, he hears the Zernar voice. Whoa, 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 you're skipping yeah. over the big thing here, Matt. What? Huh? Batman Night Falls Joker. Oh yeah, Zernar takes full control of Bruce. Yeah, and, yeah, and breaks right. the Joker's back over his knee, like, bang. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. I was like, why are you skipping that, man? That's a pretty big yeah, detail. Yeah, because I forgot, <laughs> right? And then so so Bruce, like, passes out from his struggle, right? Um, and we feel like Zernar is in full control, but then Bruce wakes up, like, a, a, on a cot, and he hears the Zernar voice, and he looks into the Batcave. Oh, yeah, and, I know, I remember. And now Zernar has inhabited Failsafe. Which that that's back the Batman Terminator, uh, uh, which the, the groan that I let out uh-huh. upon this final page. I hmm. here's the thing though, logically, the the failsafe robot exists because Zernar, right? Was it Zernar or Bruce that that did this idea that in case he ever goes too far, there there needs to be something that can rein him back in. So, I don't remember. Yeah, is <laughs> the if, honest answer. I don't remember. So if if now Zernar is inhabiting the robot that's meant to go in case he goes too far, yet now he's gone too far. I don't know. It feels like a hat on a hat. Uh, yeah, it, it seemed very counterproductive. No, clearly this was not the intended thing that Failsafe was going to do. Zernar taking right. over Failsafe is is very much. Like a, a, a new idea that Zuranar's had. Mm-hmm. Why Zuranar, which is just a part of Batman's mind, mm-hmm. can leave it and go to a robot is anyone's guess, quite frankly. Yep. That doesn't make much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I. 
it's what I was saying earlier. I said, I don't like the idea, right? I don't like the idea yeah. of what we're doing with all the Zero and R's in his head right now. I didn't like the mm-hmm. multiverse stuff. I don't like all that. I enjoyed some of the Fail Stay stuff in the first arc because it was basically mm-hmm. like a Terminator hunting on Batman down and how does Batman fight a Terminator? That's kind of fun. Yeah. But once it went beyond that, it started to nosedive pretty hard. And I feel well, like this latest development is just... It's it's almost doing exactly what a comic book run should do. It's making it all feel like one part of a big story that he had planned out. Yeah. I just hate the story he's got planned out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's executing what he wants to fairly well. Just you're still not a fan of the story. You know? Yeah. There's I don't think the execution's the problem. It's it's what he's executing. Um <laughs> I also we, I knew we were going to be in trouble when the way that he defeated Failsafe was to get shot with a multiversal gun that sent him into the multiverse. Then, then we were going. Like, I had issues with him skydiving from from low space orbit, right, and surviving because of his cape and cowl and whatever. And a singular but, sheet of metal, Matt. Let's not yeah, let's not forget yeah. the key ingredient. Don't let me forget the single sheet of metal. Um, Hooey. Little did I know that was it. I will say, uh, Jimenez, no, this is no fault of the art. I feel like in the, the story is told very clear through the art, um, especially with the Zernar Batman. And it's cool that uh, Jimenez gets to do so many different styles of Batman. Um, the the Batman 66 is very um, distinctive from, you know, the Michael Keaton Batman and I, and I will give Zadarsky credit for kind of taking meta storytelling here. Like when uh, Bruce tells the Michael Keaton Batman, well, at least I can turn my neck. Oh, I hated that. Right? No, I, I, oh, you I, didn't like that? I hated that line. It was so forced. Like, oh, I didn't mind it. Like I am self-referential tongue in cheek and meta humor. I am so done with right now because yeah. everything is tapping into it and has been for the last 20 years. Like the Marvel movies having to have all the little quips all the time, um, stuff like Deadpool being popular. I am so done with that sense of humor that mm-hmm. this little meta joke of making fun of the not turning your head was such a forced line to me. It's fine if it can naturally fit. But it didn't naturally fit. The idea that this other Batman from this other universe literally can't turn his head, and that's a plot point, is stupid. It's so oh. stupid. And th- and that's why it worked for me, just because it added a different layer to something that I wasn't... No, that, that's, this not is, that I wasn't enjoying it as much. This is nostalgia fan-wanking. Yeah. That's what this is. This is, hey, we're going to reference to the Michael Keaton's Batman to pop you all. Which is my problem with all this Zero and R bullshit, yeah. is it's just an excuse yeah. to have all these interpretations of all these other versions of Batman. You know what? Yeah. We all saw Spider-Man No Way Home, and it was a cheap trick in that that made everyone convinced that was a good movie and you know here we are in the batman comic and we're trying to do it with that too and i'm like "Eh." yeah no yeah because then it it, because it overstepped the line for me and i know this happened before when he talks about the toys because i do you you know and something along the lines of you know all my toys right and that's where you know so just the counter to that that bruce had someone that he can't turn his neck i thought was i thought it was well executed there um, and then the way that he takes out the 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 vampire Batman, you know, with with the stakes, talking about you know, 
almost almost like he almost like there's a religious thing to it though too so that was a little bit wonky thinking about it uh on on the other way but yeah i just basically want to talk about jimenez's art and how despite the story being all over the place the art's still pretty good yeah they are uh, the art is obviously very solid jimenez knows what he's doing it's a credit that we instantly get who all these different versions of batman are supposed to be mm-hmm. that's all very well done yeah, do you know what? I'm glad you brought up that turn your head thing because I'd forgotten about it and you angered me as soon as you said it. <laughs> I Sorry. was like, oh, that's we, right, that pissed apologies. me off. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, no, I'm, Zernar. I'm glad Pete you did. Zernar is going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, my secret. So yeah. I'm always Zernar. Uh, yeah. So I just, I hate conceptually what this is. I, I just mm-hmm. really do. Um, like, Batman finding strength at the end that he is more than just Batman and that's part of what makes him who he is. Mm-hmm. That is a fine sort of capper to like what Batman should yeah. learn at the end of an arc like this. I just did not enjoy the journey. I did not enjoy what felt like a bunch of cheap, you know, fan servicey things. And I just conceptually, I just, I just, I don't like this run. I don't like these yeah. ideas. They're just not what I want Batman to to be doing or or what to be, and mm-hmm. you 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 can put Batman in a situation that I wouldn't have picked for him, and it might still work. Like Jason Aaron's yeah. books only had one issue, Off-world. and yeah, I, I was I didn't love it unconditionally, but I I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than this. We we have a book later that we're talking about where Batman's friends with Santa, and, and you know, it's better than this as well. Yeah, it's yeah, good, good, good that's too. what I'm saying. Like it's. It's not the circumstances. It's it's how you tell those circumstances, and yeah. So uh, did you read the backup? Yes. Um, you said did you read the backup? You said it wasn't the execution, though. No. Now you just said well, it was the execution. I, yeah, I'm I'm not talking about this one. <laughs> I, I've, I've worked myself into a shoot here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it either, to be honest. Uh, no, I did yeah. not read the backup because when I got to the end so, of this story, I said, "F this! I don't want to read any more of this book." <laughs> yeah, so it's it's Vandal Savage. You know, he can't leave Gotham uh, and still remain immortal. So he's going to start making moves, um, and he ends up with this super rich group of of like power players, like power brokers in Gotham, and uh, they all kind of know who he is and. Uh, it, it all adds up to um, them being upset that Selena was able to train all of those um, all of those thieves to steal from them. So now them being the rich people of Gotham are going to get their revenge uh, by, you know, flexing their muscle even more. Uh, and Vandal Savage is kind of going to be their, their figurehead in all of this. So it's almost like the... Kind of court of vowels adjacent, where they're going to be trying to run things from the shadows, and Vandal Savage is going to be their their guy because he ends up uh, one of the the thieves that works for Selena ends up with them, uh, and and Vandal Savage crushes his head in front of everybody, and they're like, you see, that's that's what we need, um, and uh, let me just double check, um, oh, and then at the end, so the the main guy that he's talking to is this um, kind of looks like Deathstroke. His name is Leonid Cole. Um, and and he's the one that's, that's you know, talking to, 
to Vandal Savage. So at the end, after Savage crushes this man's head, uh, they go back to the kitchen to talk. Um, and he goes, you know, I need to know, uh, how much do you know about that police commissioner? Uh, and, you know, it's an appointed position. So it seems like they're going to be making plays now towards Montoya, which I think is the biggest, I think is the biggest takeaway from this. Now is it's going to have Vandal Savage against the question, which during the ruckus stuff was some of my favorite. So mm. if it kind of touches on that, I'll, I'll be uh, okay. Uh, the art is by uh, Mike Hawthorne. So that's why I was asking if you had read it, because I know how much you love Mike Hawthorne's art. Um, was that sarcasm, yeah, it, Matt? Yeah, it was. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it, it was... I would say I enjoyed the the Vandal Savage story a little bit more than the than the Batman story for whatever that's worth. So, but yeah. Okay, well there you go. What are you, what are you reading, Batman? Uh, this is a six point five, and it's mostly for for the Jimenez art. <clears throat> yeah, it's yeah. I'll, I'll probably give it like a six. Like I I know I say you probably more negative than that, but. After those other two books, and then all the things I really don't like about this, uh, give me a bit of a fire, and I regret nothing that was said. But <laughs> yeah, also we didn't even really talk about is this Joker actually dead? I'm just assuming no because that feels like a big deal that's been glossed over if he is dead. Mm-hmm. But you know, just in case they say next issue, oh, that, that yeah. Joker dead, only two left. Well, it's a good job we got three then. Yeah, let's pull the spirit joker from the back. <laughs> uh, okay. Birds of Prey, issue four, Legacy 202. Kelly <sighs> Thompson with Leonardo Romero on the art. A good book to talk about, Matt. This is such a novelty. Finally. I'm, 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 when I finally got to... So, you know, Birds of Prey, this is a book that I, I get physically. So I try to read the digital stuff early, right? The sure. stuff that I'm getting digitally first. So that that was Titans Beast World this week. So it was a tough early part of my week. Come Wednesday, I get Birds of Prey and I open it up and I get greeted by Leonardo Romero art and Kelly Thompson story, you know, words and, and dialogue. And it just felt like a warm hug from from a familiar person. And yeah. Yeah, it was I I I'd almost forgotten what good uh good sequencing was by the time I got to this book. Uh, so, yeah, this was delay. Obviously, they're in the middle of the fight in all the Amazons. They've been trying to get sent off uh, Themyscira, and the alarms have started to sound. Diana's mm-hmm. arrived. And a big chunk of this issue is the various fights as, like, you know, Zealot tries to keep Diana busy whilst the others are trying mm-hmm. to get away, um, which leads to a bunch of really fun sequences, one of which is Barda taking on Wonder Woman, and doing relatively well because she's Barda and she's a big tough bitch, yep. you know? So that was good yeah. fun. Uh, my favorite, though, uh, is probably, like, it's quite quickly after that where there's, like, a swoosh and Diana's like, what was that? And it's mm-hmm. it's cast. Like, Batgirl's trying to take on Wonder Woman. And ultimately, she's going to lose, and that's fine because Diana's, you know, Wonder Woman. But the fact right. that she, like, is able to keep her off her guard and, like, trick yep. her and, like, make her look around her shoulder a few times... It's kind of like, oh, this is this is fist pump moments. Like, yeah, Cass, you got it. Yep. <laughs> Take her down. <laughs> it was it was one of these ones where you like you said you know that she's not going to defeat her, but Cass is going to leave an impression on Diana, you know. And 
that whole sequence Romero draws really great. The the just Kelly Thompson you can tell has this affection for Diana because she she draws her out like she's almost like this steamroller. Like you're not gonna stop her, you're just gonna slow her down. Yet somehow I'm even though I'm rooting for the birds, I'm also rooting for Diana. Because there's yeah, so much it, respect at play here. It never treats Diana know? like she's the villain. Obviously, she's an antagonist mm-hmm. in the context of this story because mm-hmm. they have to work against her, but it never feels like she's been treated like, oh, she she is like to be disliked, right? Yeah, like you say, there's yeah. a reverence for her, which you know, fits mm-hmm. really nicely with the ongoing Wonder Woman book. That's something that book's mm-hmm. been doing great, is like this reverence for her every single issue. Yeah, this book even references the Wonder Woman run. Yep. One of the Amazons says, hey, um, uh, the American military's declared war on us pretty much. I was like, oh, yep. I wasn't expecting that reference, but I, I mm-hmm. appreciate it. Also, when Bard is fighting Wonder Woman, she also does the Nightfall backbreaker to Diana, and... Yep. So I, I can't believe that happened twice this week yes. in two different comics. Well, and I feel like, not that the one of Batman wasn't effective, this one, though, felt like an emotional, you know, um, for, for me as, as a wrestling fan, it felt like Roddy Strong when, when he finally could cut loose and, and hit his, you know, backbreaker, the end of heartache for it, the first time. Nah, you're making w. a reference that 99% of the audience isn't That's fine. getting I, at all. It, it, yeah, but... Um, it, it felt triumphant look, 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 uh, I, in this one. It was it was built up to better in terms of its pacing. I will say, mm-hmm. thematically, it makes more sense to do it in a Batman comic because it's referencing a Batman thing. However, mm-hmm. this was the much better comic, so I enjoyed this one much more. <laughs> yeah, but this is definitely paying homage to that. And, and for what it does is, you know, it still treats Diana as the hero. You know what I mean? Getting... You know, and Barda is kind of the Bane-esque, you know, unstoppable force until Diana gets back up, right? Like, you know, so uh, there's this book had so many good things in there just with the fight scenes because, like, Zealot with all of the Amazons. Yeah, she she stays behind to take on, like, a bunch of the Mm -hmm. Amazons and it cuts back to her at one point and it's just all these quick panels of her swish, you know, her sword going swish, swish, swish and like she's taking Mm -hmm. on an army by herself. Uh, yeah. And they're not dead because they're all groaning and, no. and huffing and puffing on the ground. Right. But you know she 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 wins the fight. Uh, mm-hmm. I also especially liked when we come back to the cast fight with with Wonder Woman. Cast gets knocked down uh, by Wonder Woman, and I kind of love that Barda is like small bat and like gets and she's yeah. pissed. It's like she because by this point Barda's been knocked down, right? Barda got hit, yep. her hat gets or her helmet got thrown off by the punch. Yeah. When she shows she when she sees Cass go down, it's like she's reinvigorated to go back into the fight. And I'm like, you know what? This is only what issue four, and you've already built up this loving relationship between Barda yep. and Cass, where Barda wants to protect her, even though typically Cass is not someone who needs protecting. No, but th- this is one. Well, I think that's so. right. That's why it works, right? Because Barda Barda has that same dynamic with Scott, with her husband. Mm. You know, so this is someone that she has. You know love for in a platonic way with Cass is she, she likes a small bat cause small bat is still scary. Right. Uh, even though she's small. So yeah, I thought that that worked really, really well. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that's Kelly Thompson 
with her dynamics. This is what encourages her to grab the lasso, and Barda has kind of a badass moment here where she says, mm-hmm. I don't fear your lasso because Barda only speaks truth. <laughs> and just walks right up to Wonder mm-hmm. Woman, like holding her, the la- they're both holding the lasso, right? They're both mm-hmm. uh, not, not quite having like a, a, a struggle of strength or anything, but just kind of they're mm-hmm. both gripping onto it. And Diana asks why they're here. Barda kind of tries to fight it for a second, but explains that they're here to save Sin because her being here will uh, lead to Magira destroying the island mm-hmm. and everyone on it. Uh, so, and of course, this is a good plot point because it cuts after this to like all the birds are in the jail cell, including Dina, yep. who's got like a like a muzzle on her on her yeah. face, so she can't scream, which I thought was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but she can still talk, right? That's what we're we're getting. She's, yeah, so, it's faded out to imply that it's muffled yeah. because she's kind of talking yeah, behind okay. something. But yeah, so gotcha. imagine like uh, so it's all a bit like Bane from Darnay Rises, I guess. Yeah, like ah, birds of prey. Yes, <laughs> we are the yeah. baddest bitches on the Damascara. We shall take down the Wonder Woman. Yes, Cause, Dana, cause what happened to your thing. accent, Dana? What are you talking about? I have no accent. Uh, Pete just wants to do posh Bane. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, because that was the thing with the with the art that the the and the lettering is that Dinah, you know, there's because right if the the speech bubbles, there's not even really a bubble going towards her. It's almost all like when they do telepathic, um, almost like how they do telepathic stuff. So uh, not that it was confusing because I got the point of what they were doing, but. Uh, she can still communicate, just not loudly. Uh, but yeah, but, what's yeah. important? What's important here is that Diana is like, okay, Barda said why they were here with the lasso, so she knows that it's true, or at the very least, they believe mm-hmm. that it's true. So it's like, okay, Sin's going to stick with me, uh, and I'll protect her because Diana would obviously want to be mm-hmm. uh, sort of kind of at the front of the battle, as it were. Um, but then it's like, okay, but where's this Magira then? Where's this this demon goddess that's that's coming for mm-hmm. me? Like, what's what's happening with that? Uh, and they basically go into another room, and Penelope's been the one that's possessed, and there's like all yeah. this dark magic energy coming out of her. It's, it's kind of like the Exorcist meets I don't know Ghostbusters or something like that. <laughs> like yeah. it's over the top. And it's like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've actually got a crisis here. Uh, and then there's this great little reveal that they never put Cass in the jail cell. Uh, Cass pops her head out yeah. from outside the jail cell where the rest of the birds are and Canary's just like were you ever even in here? and she's like no <laughs> so Cass lets them all out uh, I got a good kick out of that uh, they get out of the jail cell and they see the explosion in the distance where this big Magira fight is happening and they, they run, go running towards it Diana gets tossed aside by the demon like she's nothing which obviously is scary to them because, I mean, like you said, the whole issue, and even a lot of last issue, was building up the idea that we can't take on Diana. She's too powerful. So you have the mm-hmm. villain toss her aside here at the start of the issue, or the end of the issue. It sells this idea that, okay, this is how scary this this villain is. So we get this very almost horror movie, Lovecraftian final page of the big face of, of Magira looking down at them and the birds get into like a fighting stance to try and like take her on uh so and it even says next time into the mouth of madness which even just adds to i mean i wasn't even thinking that when i said lovecrafting that's just yeah that just links up with it perfectly yeah so i, I looked at magira in the in greek mythology sure Go and ahead she's me. one of the, yeah she's one of the furies 
which are one of the ancient like female deities like they they mm. predate zeus and they're uh, made from the blood of uh Oranos. um so uh she specifically represents vengeance so i feel like this is uh, it's interesting know. that we're doing uh you know that word fury popping up when barda mm-hmm. of course like obviously not the exact same thing but the idea of that word mm-hmm. being there makes me think that her being on the team and this being the villain is a very yep. intentional choice yeah uh, so in the same way that oh, Zel- Zealots had her, had her whole thing with the island mm-hmm. and she's not allowed to be here and she doesn't want to kill anyone and she did the yeah. whole spell thing to make sure she couldn't. Um, it feels like they're, they're doing interesting things to make it feel like every member of the team is in some way relevant to what's going yeah. on. I mean, we've not had it for all of them yet, but certainly uh, a few of them now. Black Canary always had it because it was always her sister that was in trouble. It's but, her, right. So. And this is her mission. But yeah, so... Um, being also that she's the deity of, of like vengeance that she's represented. She's almost like this, this concept that's as old as time itself. I, I feel that really adds up to the level uh, of what they have to deal with. So, yeah, you, uh, but man, she, Kelly, I'm so glad Kelly, Kelly Thompson's writing this book. Yeah. The visuals of Madeira or Magira towards the end here with all this swirly kind of almost veins that are coming out, uh, if you want to call them mm-hmm. that. It has a very... It looks very Eastern-influenced in its design. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really cool. Um, if I'm looking... You know, I think the art throughout the book obviously is very good. Romero's done such a good job. And I think mm-hmm. there's that great two-page spread that we kind of looked over because it, was, it wasn't really relevant to the other fights we were talking about. But whilst all those other fights were going on with Diana and Cass and Barda, uh, Dana, Harley, Sin... We're, we're fighting against just random Amazons, mm-hmm. and there's a great two-page layout. And the, I think every issue's had a page like this, actually, now that I think about it, yeah. where there's multiple versions, and they're having the conversation throughout the fight, and there's no panels. It's just sort of going through it, kind of... Like, if this was a Nightwing, all the past versions would be faded out, uh, but yeah. in this book, they don't do that. They just have them all be no. there, but you follow it's... the conversation going on down the page. But when, but when you follow it, too, because each of the characters that's closer from the background to the foreground. Yes. It makes it very cinematic because there's, there's a flow here that it, you, as you read it, you almost feel like you're, the camera's like tracking back uh-huh. and you're, you're revealing yep. more things as we're going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do that purely throughout just the, the positioning of the characters and their speech yep. bubbles. That, that's all that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it feels unlike that amanda waller book or waller rising uh, this week which felt like i was struggling to follow things at times Mm -hmm. this made it look so easy and it's not easy a lot of thought went into this but it it make it look easy (laughs) and that's the impressive part well and that's the thing too is it was nice when we get here that this book just flowed after reading those two uh uh, beast world books that were kind of slogs to get through reading this and it was a breeze uh, and just pleasant and all the character stuff feels satisfying. Like it was definitely, you know, night and day uh, comparatively. Absolutely. Uh, it was absolutely night and day. So yeah, that's Birds of Prey. Uh, really excellent. Mm-hmm. It's becoming one of my favorite monthly books from DC. What are you rating issue four, Matt? Uh, this is a nine. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to just like play devil's advocate in my head and see, mm-hmm. can I argue against that? Is there a reason to go lower? 
and I don't think there is for me. I think it's arguably the best issue it's had so far. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go nine as well. Yeah. So, very good. Shazam! Issue six, Mark Wade writing with Dan Mora on the R. So, last issue of this ended with Freddy dropping a bombshell saying that he would take the Shazam power instead and he would happily work for the gods. He would be their puppet. He would willingly do that. Which, this first few pages, before we get to the rest of it, this first few pages where the gods start saying how much they love Freddy because he's like, oh, Uh Frederick the Lyle, go Frederick. Like, them cheering him on because he's willing to be their puppet was making me laugh. Like, this book is so funny. And it is. It's been getting it's, funnier issue by issue. And it's just like the tone of it with like just how zany it gets. Like there's the there's bureaucratic dinosaurs and, and it works, right? There's these petty gods that, that are front running. And again, just everything works and it, it feels like it's definitely geared towards an era, but it also feels fresh. Right. Like this feels like the, you know, from what I've read about the big red cheese of Shazam and, you know, back in the like fifties when it was out selling Superman, it felt like it was doing a lot of this silly stuff, but Wade and Moore are doing it so earnestly that it still just works. That's the the thing. It's, it's, it's got, it's filled with comedy, but it's also earnest. None of it's, mm -hmm. none of it's like particularly meta it's you know a lot of it's just mm-hmm. coming from the interactions it, they've set up these god characters mm-hmm. to be these petty assholes so them mm-hmm. reacting to all this was really funny of course freddy is faking it he, he starts whispering to billy oh this is just a stalling tactic just go along with it like push yeah. me so they, they have a bit of a play fight and the gods mm-hmm. realize they're acting it so they step yeah. in and that's when the rest of the kids show up because they've raided the closet at the rock of eternity for just various magical items so they don't have their powers but they come in with various things that will help them Mm -hmm. fight including the t-rex uh alien who's been helping them with the or not helping them but has been trying to get billy to fill out paperwork yeah he shows up with a cloak on as well so that's a whole thing hell of a page uh they they even all give themselves names we've got bullet girl which is darla we got Uh spy master which is the dinosaur Obviously, yep. as the as the as the box puts it, uh, Mister Am, uh, who's Pedro, and he's got like a sort of shinobi mm-hmm. knight armor thing on, and then you've yep. got Eugene the Invincible, and he's got like a sorcerer staff type thing. So, uh, yeah, and the gods all start laughing, and from here, like a lot of this issue is this big fight between them and the gods, and it's genuinely really endearing and really funny because the gods getting pissed off at them or. In fact, the moment, actually, the funniest moment of the book, the funniest moment of the week, mm-hmm. for easily, is Billy gets like a magic club given to him from the other uh-huh. characters. He walks up and says, hey, Achilles, how's that heel doing? And then there's a, clo- there's a close-up panel of Achilles' eyes just going wide as he goes, yep. That uh-huh. made me buckle with laughter. That is there's- so funny. And then shortly after that, uh, Darla, who's wearing the Bullet Man stuff, where it's just launching head first, right? That's the entire thing. She goes, didn't he know about head injuries? <laughs> uh, that made me laugh as well. Yeah, uh, and then Eugene turns uh, Zeus into a... Into a, a swan. Well, it's a duck. It, oh, it's a duck. Yeah, That's right, because he mentions yeah. he had turned into a swan once. Yeah, he's like, no, you're yeah. more of a quack. So then he turns him into a duck. So then you've yeah. got... 
and I love this panel. It's angry Zeus as a duck pointing his feather and saying, yep. cease this children now. You will stop this. Yeah. Oh my God. Like this book just like, it has this sense of humor, which I think maybe mm-hmm. like, I liked it from issue one, but it maybe took a few mm-hmm. issues to get into the, like the vibe of how it's going to feel. But now that I've like acquired the taste for it, it's like, this is like two issues in a row. Cause that last issue mm-hmm. when they're on the moon, fighting yep. uh whatever uh, that go. yeah but what was the ape that was like the screw up the jerry for oh, parson yeah, wreck yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, i forget his name but you know the, but it doesn't matter who yeah. the, the joke was is that yeah. it's just like oh come on jeff like stop like stop being a screw yeah. up jeff like yeah this this is like two or three issues in a row where it's just been making me laugh constantly whilst being very fun with great art and advancing its story mm-hmm. and yeah it's a lot of payoff so uh that's a big chunk of the issue. Eventually, you know, the gods kind of like stand up united and they're 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 ready to like win the fight. But Billy's ran off at this point uh, mm-hmm. to to go do some. Oh, I'll, I'll just mention as well the T Rex quickly. Uh, the dinosaur mm-hmm. uh, opens his like case, which is like infinite or whatever, and it sucks yeah. in uh, Atlas. <laughs> so, yeah, I have this this case and Atlas like yeah empty case and like, oh it's like a doorway and then just swallows up Atlas yeah and it was very and again Moro really working the the you know uh not episodic storytelling um I can't think today sequential sequential there thank you, you sequential storytelling here uh but yeah but uh I also like when they're going with um they're Billy and Freddie are, are going up against Mercury and they're trying to figure out what kind of god he is and it's like, oh, he's, you know, yeah, he's a god. He's fast. He's like a like a speedster, not a speedster. Who's that? Who's that Flash villain that wears the stripes? <laughs> and then it, they go with Trickster. That was another piece that was like a page worth that is just between Wade and Mora, just expertly told. Yeah, uh, that was just, real fun. Again, they're making it look so easy how to just be this charming and funny, like constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Billy's whole plan is he goes off to talk to Solomon, who's kind of staying out of all this, and is like, yep. hey, you're the one who makes me wise, right? You're, you're the one who gives me the wise powers. Like, can't you make me wise enough? Like, or Well, first of all, Solomon admits that he's kind of ashamed that he took part in all this because it, it, yep. it wasn't the right thing to do. But he's like, hey, can't you make me wise enough that it'll overcome any of their influence because I'll be wise enough to realize that I'm being puppeteered by someone? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, technically, yes, I can do that. But there is a risk, you know, where you might... Like, there's already this thing where you're referring to, like, the adult version as the captain. Like, you, your identity mm-hmm. starting to ver- or veer away. That is becoming two distinct personalities. And there's yeah. a chance that this will make that worse, where you'll just become two distinct people where you wouldn't feel like you're the same person anymore. And he's like, do you want to risk that? And he's like, yeah, if it'll fix all this, yeah, let's do mm-hmm. it. So he's like, all right, say the word. So that ends up being a solution to this where they try and control him when he becomes Shazam again, and yep. they can't. The wisdom of Solomon has been turned up to make him realize that he's being controlled, so he's able yep. to, to fight it off. So that, that kind of ends this arc of the gods trying to, you know, Take control over. him. Well, and, and Billy and Freddy also realize that it was the wizard they're granted the powers, not the gods. They just get the powers from the gods. Yeah, they you can't. Know, so they that, can't. They can't choose to change it to someone else. Yeah, right. So, like, even if Freddie had agreed, they couldn't have moved the powers from him to, you know, from Billy to Freddie, which I thought was curious as well. 
So there, there's something else at play here, you know, with, with the wizard. Yeah, uh, uh, Shazam yeah. gets all uh, snipey at them, though, and says, hey, yeah, the world doesn't care about you guys as much, but that's because you just expect to be worshipped without doing anything to be worshipped for. Maybe you should mm-hmm. start actually trying to help. And Zeus begrudgingly is like, okay, well, uh, well, think about that. Peace out. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, we're leaving. Boy. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, which leads to an interesting thing where they seems like they want the dinosaur to stay on because he's really excited by the the closet and the rock of eternity of, with all the <laughs> artifacts and shit. Yep, and because he, he wants to organize it because it's such a mess. Yeah, he's all about yeah. the order and the chaos. And yep. Belly's like, "Hey, yeah, all right, we can hire you." So it seems like we're going to keep yep. him around as a supporting character, mm-hmm. which is awesome because it's fun having Talking a dinosaur dinosaurs. around. Yeah. Uh, but it also leads into what we're doing next in the book because he mentions uh, there's a problem with all this though that I've yeah. been taking a whale so other dinosaurs are going to be coming to like see what I'm doing and sort of deal with yeah. all this cut to a bunch of dinosaurs in a spaceship looking for yeah. looking for Billy's house and then mm-hmm. I, I, my favorite part of this is this okay uh, find exactly where to go for this Billy Batson and, and we can take care of this. And someone's like, uh, the form never got filled out, so we don't have the address. And there's this, just a panel of a dinosaur yelling, the paperwork fails, uh, pales up too fast. Do you know how hard it is to hold a pen? And that made yeah. me laugh oh as well. That was a great yep. joke. Yeah. I, yes. I think there's just something really funny to me about an entire society that's built around T-Rex-shaped dinosaurs, but... They don't have a different writing instrument that's easier for them no. to use with their bodies. They're still just using mm-hmm. regular pens, and that's what the joke oh. is, and that's pretty. And funny. they're wearing, they're wearing human-esque clothes as well. Because right mm-hmm. when when the one showed up at their doorstep, he's wearing a top hat and monocle, and, and stuff. So like, and they're driving around classic flying saucers, you know, that look like the 1950s type thing too. So yes, there's there's so much at play here. And yeah, they're called the auditors. So, uh, and they're they're looking for for Billy, and right, they they tracked the the signature from from Shazam, right? Yeah, but the, uh, the, but they don't go to Shazam. They incorrectly go no. towards Kandak, and uh, Black yeah. Adam rips a hole in the ship and says, "What the hell are you doing here, you bastards?" And that's the cliffhanger yeah. for. Uh, Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing, of course, slightly, but yes. <laughs> but yeah. Black Adam's not very happy that these dinosaurs have shown up. So yes. that's uh, where we're going next. It says next time the Captain versus Black Adam with space dinosaurs. Which, which is this the first time we've had Black Adam and 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 the Captain together in a book in like years, right? Because they never really interacted in oh, any of those Justice League books. Oh yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah. I can't remember the last time they properly yeah, were together. It's, yeah. it's been a long time, so that, that's pretty exciting. Uh, and we're, you know, so but between this and between Mary Marvel, right, the Josie Campbell stuff they're doing, like Shazam's becoming one of my favorite little corners of the DCU because they're they're just pleasant reads, um, and that goes a long way with me. The 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 stuff that I look forward to reading because it's fun. Like, yes, there, we have books like Detective Comics that are just really good storytelling, right? Uh, but, like, this with the sense of humor and just the kids and the interactions between the characters, they're, they're ones that I always chart high for me. Yeah, but there's a lot of craft here. It's just doing something mm-hmm. different to 
you know your detective comics or, or your tom yeah. king books or whatever else yeah. um it takes a lot of skill to actually have it read this easy and to be as mm-hmm. funny as it's being it's very charming and it's it is very feel good and it's a nice counterpoint mm-hmm. to some of the more serious comics that, that we're yeah. reading and mary's kind of in this in-between place because she's in the amazon's attack stuff where yep. that is a bit more serious so it, it does feel like she's graduated from the rest of the kids to being a sort of more grown-up comic not that it's a yeah. super grown-up comic i just mean in comparison to the light-hearted tone mm-hmm. that this has but uh no and obviously the art's phenomenal i mean we, I, I don't mm-hmm. know if i've said too much i mean i mentioned the the, the eyes widening of yeah. achilles because that was part of the joke was the the reaction mm-hmm. on the face but all the stuff looks so good. It's kind of a weird issue because a lot of it goes without anyone in Shazam outfits. It's very, you know, it's all these yeah. weird co- costumes the the kids are wearing. Uh, but there's a lot of storytelling be done with the eyes and um, the, the, the you know just the, the sequencing adds to the humor. It's there to help tell the stories yeah. and the jokes. And notably, the credits for this and it has been this the whole time. I think it yeah. doesn't say writer mark wade art by dan mora it says storytellers and endless both of them and Mm -hmm. technically that's always true i think but i think it's particularly apt here because a lot of this comedy is working because of not only how the art's drawn but how also how it's sequenced in the panels there's a lot of thoughts went into the timing of like okay set up the joke here pay it off here that kind of thing there's a lot of that going on so it it feels like the mora has input into not necessarily what Wade's writing, but how he writes it, right? So they can effectively work it, together to get this out. It wouldn't surprise you know? me if, if, like, the actual layouts... Because like, some writers are very specific with what they want mm-hmm. on the page as far as layouts go, and they want a big panel yeah. of this and a little panel of that. It wouldn't surprise me if Moore is getting to adjust that or even, like, almost just yeah. almost from scratch get to decide how how it's going to be shown on the page. Yeah, beyond just remember, you know, beyond just here's the number of speech bubbles we need on this page, kind of thing. Right, right. Because I also remember when when Wade and Somni were on Daredevil, that was the same thing with storytellers mm. too, and that felt like an equal equal share as well. So, uh, yeah, I just feel like once Wade likes working with a, an artist, they're just going to do I, I, fantastic is, work. Because uh, this is similar to, I, I don't remember the exact definition, but the, the, back in the day they referred to it as the Marvel method, which is where it was a lot yeah. more freeform for the artist to like interpret what to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas the more traditional thing was the writer specifically saying, page one, panel one, page one, panel two, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it makes sense that that's evolved over time as well, because back when comic book writing started, the layouts were a lot more straightforward you know there'd be you know all boxes whereas now you get crazy layouts where things are like overlapping mm-hmm. and whatnot so he feels that like the, the artist does have to have a bit more input in that yeah so anyway fantastic uh as mm-hmm. this book has been what are you giving shazam matt i'm giving it an 8.5 yeah yeah i, th- I think i agree Ah, screw it. I'm going. I'm going nine on this as well. Oh, all right. Maybe, there you go. maybe my maybe my bar was just so lowered after those two Titan books, yeah. and then not liking well, Batman. That I just, but yeah, yeah. nine out of ten. This week, I, I this felt was a, this was a nine. Go on. Yeah, I read Birds and Shazam back to back, and I, I loved them both very much. So I, you know, I was going to put them within, you know, of, of each other. So sure, sure, sure. 
All right. Uh, Poison Ivy, issue 17, mm-hmm. G. Willow Wilson, with different artists this time, uh, Luana yep. uh, Vecchio? Vecchio? Yeah. Uh, I'll um, do my best. But uh, this is a this is a Matt-only book, so uh, take it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go off on, on Vecchio, on the art, because I, I've loved Takara. Um, this, this art here, uh, I'm trying to think of, of who I could compare it to. It's almost... That's almost Dotson's esque or Amanda Connor esque with the there's like a, a bubbliness to it and like a bounce, um, and it, it really adds layers to to Pam and to we'll get to Croc because uh, Croc's the main character in this one, but it really just adds a layer to the storytelling that you know Takara's stuff is very you know DC typical. It's heavy in the shadows and. It's always some of my favorite art, but here was a nice change of pace. Uh, so I hope we see see more of Vecchio. But uh, this story starts with with Janet and uh, waking up at Harley and Ivy's house, and everything's super weird because Janet has slept with both Pam and with uh, Harley, but neither Harley wants Ivy to know, and Ivy doesn't want Harley to know. So Janet's this poor lady in the middle. Uh, and so, uh, she's walking on eggshells and Pam's like, well, I gotta go. Um, I've been having these weird dreams that all the people I've infected with spores are going to be converging on Gotham. So I need to get a cure before, you know, they get here. And as we know from the last issue, they're, you know, waiting on the outskirts of town. So they making their way in. Um, so when Pam leaves, Harley looks at Janet's like, look, we're just not going to talk about this. What she doesn't know won't hurt her. Um, and, you know, Janet's kind of looking at Harley. He's like, well, she doesn't know what else we've done. And, you know, as that scene ends, Janet's just like, oh, man, I'm breaking so many HR rules here. Because uh, remember, that was her role uh, when when uh, Ivy had saved her was she worked for HR. Um, but Ivy goes to Slaughter Swamp. They call it the, the uh, hunting shack where uh, Croc is and she has a makeshift lab put together and she's uh, creating cures from her blood. And um, Croc comes in and is like, what, what's with all of these, you know, mushrooms. And she's like, well, these, the, you know, she explains the Lamia stuff to him. And he's talking about how, how good that it smells that she's making this, that it almost smells like barbecue and it's made him hungry. And so he's eaten some of the mushrooms and she freaks out because these are the zombie mushrooms that turn and she uses her plant powers to kind of scan his body and nothing's happened to Croc. So it turns out that Croc's immune to the Lamia spores and Pam reasons that it's, you know, crocodilians have a very weird immune system that makes them immune to things, but also more susceptible to others. So it must be this fungal infection, you know, might you know you know won't for whatever reason won't sink into him so she's like well i need to get some blood and he's like you you can try but ever since i was a kid um i've been afraid of needles and she's like well you're you're an adult you fight batman like we we can get through this and it just made me think of connor because he goes uh it's not so much the needles themselves it's the look of them and i just thought about connor passing out in the doctor's office you know, which is, it's kind of funny. Um, 
But yeah, and we get to a little bit of like moment with Croc that he talks about as a kid, his aunt would take him to these different doctors to figure out this disease that he had. Um, and, and every time they went, the needle would get bigger and, you know, it would hurt more. So he just, you know, he's all of this past, you know, pain associated that he really, he's not going to let Pam just stab him with a needle. So she's like, all right, well, that's fine. We can still get by, but I'm going to have to make a whole lot uh, of this. Um, and as, as they're getting all of the, the, you know, antidote made, there's like rumblings at the door of the shack and Croc goes to look and it's these plant zombies and they start attacking. Pam's trying to control them with the, with her plant powers. She goes into the full queen Ivy look, uh, and, it's not really working. She she sees the guy that she had the dream about from the last issue, Chuck, uh, and that kind of gets her off of her system. And then she realizes that Croc's down, but these zombies are still flying around. And she looks over, and it's Solomon Grundy, because, of course, they're in Slaughter Swamp. She has familiarity with him. He's doing his rhyme. She's like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know, we know. Um, and... Uh, the three of them team up to start fighting off the, the spores, uh, or the, the zombies, not just the spores. Um, and the issue ends with, uh, yeah, that's how the issue ends where they're standing a united front against, uh, the, the zombies in Slaughter Swamp and, uh, just, just a lot of character building with Croc and Ivy. I really like their dynamic. Because there is this, you know, not not quite Beauty and the Beast because there's not a love thing, but like she's seeing a different side to him now, right? That she can relate to because like she feels that she's the monster here. Uh, and that that's another thing I, I just based on until the monsters. She's also ever since she uh, had come back from dealing with Undyne, which was the story right before this, she's had this weird stitch in her side. And she thought it was from, you know, just throwing up so much when, when dealing with that. But she says it almost feels like they're like birth pains. And it's almost like her body is giving her signs that she's, you know, ready to, to not quite give birth, but give, give way to whatever is new. So it's almost to like her body is turned on itself. And I feel like she feels kinship with Croc because of the, you know, the disease that turned him into killer Croc. So like, you know, Wilson is doing a lot of good work with the personal dynamics between, you know, Janet and Harley and Ivy. And then on the other side, Croc and Ivy, uh, like there's a genuine friendship there. Um, and again, the art by Vecchio is really top notch. Like, and again, it's, it's different than Takara, but still feels in the same ballpark, except that it has like this bounce. So when, when we get to Croc, he's just like this big hulking mass, but you know, he takes up part of the page but it, it's never too much right he's like this imposing figure while also being non-threatening so um that's a real tight rope to walk when it comes to drawing monsters like that to make them still you know um empathetic but also scary at the same time so uh really enjoying this ivy run uh these last few issues especially because they've been doing different things with this zombie plant you know uh, mushroom virus. So, uh, yeah, I will give this an eight out of 10. 
Okay. Cool. Uh, Batman Santa Claus Silent Night Issue 1 Jeff Parker writing with Michelle Bandini I, was, I, was, I think it's mm-hmm. Michelle uh, it's, it's let's let's look M-I-C-H-E-L-E yeah uh, Michelle maybe but... Michelle yeah or Michelle yeah it's yeah, I think they're, they're well, let's just guess. say Michelle yeah hey. I'm looking at it now Hey-ho. We got a Christmas mm-hmm. miniseries with Batman uh, for December, which is a fun idea. Mm-hmm. So um, it feels like it's set kind of, you know, roughly in modern DC continuity, which I was not mm-hmm. expecting. I, I was assuming it was going to be... And maybe it's not in continuity, but it feels like Damien's here, he's wearing his current outfit, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but the story starts off with some carolers, uh, most of whom are annoyed at the one guy who's insisting on one more song, which I thought was a little bit yeah. funny. Uh, and then these sort of bat creatures show up, uh, these mm-hmm. sort of vampire bat creatures show up and uh, attack them. So we get Batman and Robin coming afterwards to investigate the crime scene. And uh, there's something, you know, mystical here about the footprints and these vampire-style baits. So Batman calls in Zatanna, and she investigates, and they get, like, an image of, of what these creatures are. Uh, they're called the the Drog. Yep. Yeah? Also, yeah, from Norse mythology, they're like Drogers, which in in Norse mythology, they're more like uh, revenants. So like, okay. like warrior zombies. Think think the white. I know you weren't into Game of Thrones, but you're familiar with the White Walkers. I've heard of uh, them. I yeah. believe George R. R. Martin based the White Walkers on drug okay. or joggers. Um, these ones are a little bit different because they are bat like. Um, so is that just because uh, we're doing I, a Batman I, story? So he's he's trying it, to you know it 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 could be. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm sure the more this goes, we'll you know figure more things out i got uh, interested because... about here though because i was enjoying it mm-hmm. this far because i like jeff parker and I, i'm mm-hmm. excited to see jeff parker in a dc book again it's been a long time yep as the as, as soon as they said norse i'm like okay I, I see what kind of route we're taking to get into santa here we're not just going to do uh a, a, you know a, an immediate just sort of you know tim allen movie style santa claus yeah. this is a little bit different and sure enough they're chasing a drug that jumps out and a stake goes through its heart and then they reveal warrior santa on his reindeer <laughs> go on, go not on, just a reindeer this is like an elk right so ain't reindeer yes. I don't know if you've ever seen a reindeer in person they're actually kind of small um which makes sense because when you hear the the old twas the night before christmas mm. and they said there was a, a large red sleigh pulled by eight tiny reindeer Matt, this I- league's like a giant horse not only have i not seen a reindeer in person because i don't think there's any here yeah. <laughs> where i live Got you. um i'm pretty sure until an embarrassing age i didn't think they were real creatures i thought they were just made up for christmas <laughs> oh man you didn't grow up going to zoos did you i, I went to a zoo, or once, a zoo but yeah but uh i don't think it was so any you've reindeer. never pet a reindeer no i've never pet a reindeer oh man i got to pet a reindeer one time it was real cool <laughs> uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry but it just it's just uh it's one of those things where um, I assumed until I was probably in my twenties that yeah. they were like, you know, they were like unicorns. They don't, they don't actually exist. Yeah, <laughs> they're just. Yeah, no, they are. So they're, you know, they are. They're a specific type of deer. They're not quite actual deer. Um, up up in the northern hemisphere. Yeah, I, think, I think I assumed any time in a movie I'd yeah. seen a reindeer, I just assumed it was a mm-hmm. regular deer, but they'd put on. 
they put it on the sleigh for Santa. Right? Yeah. In there. Yeah. But yeah, this one, this one's almost like an elk size. Like it's gigantic. Yeah, this is like a horse. Um, this is like something you yeah. can ride into battle. That's that's yeah. what we're doing here. So mm-hmm. immediately they do this thing where Santa starts calling people out by where they lived when they were kids. So he's mm-hmm. like, oh, Zatanna, Zatanna. And he gives the address that she lived in as a child. And it's the Not idea creepy that... at all. <laughs> I mean, okay, out of context is creepy. But yeah. it's this idea that he just knows where everyone lives as kids. And then, sure mm-hmm. enough, when Batgirl and Nightwing like, come out of the story and he, he meets them, he's like, yeah, Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. And is this just Bruce Wayne's address that he gives Dick Grayson? It must be. It sounds it like it be. to me, yeah. Because even before he lived with um, Bruce, he he was a carnival kid. Yeah, he moved around. So they, yeah. they moved around. So yeah, it has to be. Yeah, it's just um, it's, it's a fun little detail, I, and a lot of this is like everyone's kind of looking. They're like, "Is this Santa?" And at one point, Santa's like, "Yeah, we have to hunt down this this you know these these monsters, right?" Mm-hmm. Uh, Batgirl, I think, chimes in like, "Wait, aren't you busy soon?" Because it's like mm-hmm. Christmas, and he's like, "Ah, no, I've not actually had to do that in like in decades." Uh, and I thought, "Oh, so mm. in DC continuity, assuming that they're actually trying to fit this into continuity, yeah. they're saying that Santa is real, but because commercialization and parents buying their kids gifts has taken over in mm-hmm. the last century or so, he's he, not. He doesn't have to do it anymore." Yep, and I like that. I, so the Santa myth is one that I, I really love, just because of where it comes from because it, it really is a melting pot of different cultural ideas right just the name santa claus uh and saint nick there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of different religions coming into like so the fact here that like this is a post-commercialization santa so what does he do he hunts monsters I, <laughs> i'm here for that you know yeah, they talk about how he was like a warrior. He fought with the you know with mm-hmm. the Vikings, and he would ride into battle on his on his reindeer. Uh, and I'm like, okay, Matt's loving this. I know that much for a fact. <laughs> uh, um, what, well, and just the whole idea of the wild hunt, which again, I can go off on on the origins of Santa. I won't because we're we're trying to get done. But the whole idea of of Santa and the sleigh and the reindeer come from this Nordic concept of the wild hunt, which might have been just the aurora borealis. Right, they would mm-hmm. see the northern lights and around Christmas, and you know they would tell each other, "Oh, but, that's Odin on the wild hunt." But that becomes you know? the Rainbow Bridge, you know, at a certain the point. The Rainbow Bridge, yeah. right? Um, and so, this becomes Santa, you know, traveling across the the world, delivering presents. So, so you know, the way they tell us here is that he ended up stranded on Earth when everyone else went back, along mm-hmm. with Krampus. And Krampus is not something. <sighs> that santa wanted to slay because ultimately yep. while he likes scaring children he's harmless he's not actually hurting them or anything like yep. that so they would go around and he would give out presents uh to to sort of make make apologies for krampus scaring them he'd make them toys mm-hmm. and that's kind of the the backstory we get here of uh who yep. santa is so uh and then that builds up to one of the footprints matching krampus so krampus is behind mm-hmm. these drug who have never come to this part of the world before they tend to not go right. much further beyond northern europe so mm-hmm. yeah it sets up the the big bad it sets up uh what they're going to have to deal with there's a bit of a fight at the towards the end because a, a, a big flower grows out of the the drug that's lying there mm-hmm. dead and uh who is it? It's uh, Zatanna gets splatted with it, yep. and they're trying to get this goop off of her, but it's just not coming off. 
But yeah, it ends with Krampus making his mission statement of like, yeah, you should have mm-hmm. killed me, Santa, all those years ago, because I'm mm-hmm. going to free all the uh, fr- I'm going to fr- yeah, where is it? What is he talking about? Uh, the-, the horrors, yes. I'm going to free yeah. all the horrors, and Christmas will become a day of misery. Ho ho ho! Uh, so, I mean, I wasn't so- I wasn't expecting this to be bad because I left Jeff Parker, no. but I think yeah. I liked it even more than I thought I was going to. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I knew from the solicits we'd be getting you know Batman and Santa that they'd known each other and you know Santa was kind of a of a superhero. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We glossed right. over that part. Uh, yeah. Sa- when Santa shows up, Batman just says, "Hey, Chris," because apparently uh-huh. Santa is one of the people Batman went and trained with in his mm-hmm. year or two of going around the world training with all the best. So, so I like to think that he learned getting into houses from Santa. <laughs> That's what I, that's what I'm gonna think. That's pretty you know? funny, actually. Yeah, but yeah, um, it's like oh, to this to this day, Batman still uses some techniques that Santa taught him. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of nuts, but I kind of love it. So yeah, I, like I wasn't playing. you know when we got Krampus because Krampus is another concept that I just love. Um, that you know the whole idea that it wasn't enough that Santa was gonna bring you coal in in parts of Germany. And in, in that, you know, the Alps regions, there was this other beast that would show up and take kids to hell. And I just, I think that's funny and I think it's great and it's metal. Um, so, but in a lot of those stories, Santa and Krampus are a partnership, right? It's like Chris Kringle's, you know, St. Nick, St. Claus, whatever they call him. He shows up and brings the toys to the good kids. Krampus takes the bad kids, but they're not opposing figures. So here, when Parker puts in there, like, oh, Krampus wasn't a threat. He was just kind of silly, you know, and, uh, you know, Santa and him, you know, kind of like he was not a mascot. What's the right word? He's almost like Santa's buddy, like his goofy friend. Um, And then we get to the end here, and he's this demonic, like hell beast <laughs> I, I need to know more of the story like what happened what took him from you know silly silly character to complete and total scary man uh with goat hooves and a long tongue which i also like too because you need you know that long tongue is a big part of of the compass lore um but yeah, yeah this is i'm so here for this it is going to be weird reading this in april and it's no longer christmas right because uh, i think it's only four issues uh, yeah, but, but it's weekly, is it not? Oh, is it not? Is it weekly? I thought so. I th- that's what my understanding was going into this. Oh, let's let me look. I'll me look at next week, and I'm sure if we'll see it, yeah. then we're we're happy. Because yeah, that would be silly. Yeah, it's next year too. Is next week. We're good. Oh my god, I'm so happy now. Yeah, I thought I thought I was gonna have to wait a whole month for this. No, no, this is weekly. This is this is four four Sweet. weeks in a row just for the Christmas season. Easy peasy. Good. Cool, cool. Well, you just made my whole Christmas now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although I, I, I did watch a movie with Krampus in it uh, this past week, and it was very, very bad. Uh, which, which one? A Christmas Horror Story starring William Shatner. Yeah. I got about 45 minutes into that and shut it off. Oh, it's, it's, like, it's rough. It's rough. Uh, yeah. I watched it for the Patreon bonus episode of Screams After Midnight, so patrons yeah. can look at that uh, next yeah. week. But... So that starts with, like, Biker Santa, right? Like he's, is that the same one? No, he's in the North Pole. He's not a baker. No. Yeah. Okay. I'm confusing another one. I do remember watching a Christmas horror story on Shudder and was like, because it kept recommending it to me. And I'm just like, 
So I got about 45 minutes in, which is probably 15 too many. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, I kind of like the ending, but that was the only thing I did like in the whole movie. So, okay. you know, I, I can't recommend it, but, uh, gotcha. I'll, when, when we're done recording, I'll, I'll find out what happened. I'll talk to you about that one. But yeah, I, I, how do you feel about the compass movie? Are you a fan of that one? Yeah, I've not seen it in uh, some time, admittedly, but I, I enjoy it. I, I know they did like an unrated like director's cut in the last couple mm-hmm. of years, and I've yeah. been meaning to track that down and watch the, the, the R-rated version, but I, I enjoyed yeah. it. I, I think so the, I, the whole vibes of the family being home at Christmas, it was giving me yeah. like old-school 80s movie vibes, and I think I like mm-hmm. that. So I, I watched it again last year after not seeing it since the theater, and it might just be because I got way into Krampus lore after seeing the movie. You know, there, there are things that it doesn't do that I feel like it should have, but um, it's still pretty, pretty decent. But I feel like we need like a monster Krampus movie like that plays like kind of like what it does here. Uh, that Jeff Parker does like make him this this hell beast, you know, scary monster. Uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, but yeah, anyways, th- this book was fun. I'm so happy we have it. Yeah, it was a good time. I'm ho- I'm hoping Jeff Parker gets more DC work, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, art was solid. Uh, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty house style, I would say, but solid yeah. house style, for sure. But I mean, Santa on a gigantic uh, reindeer with a crossbow? Like, that looked, that looked cool. Does like, Kr- that looked great. Krampus doesn't usually have so much red in his design, does he? Because this, this is a very red and black Krampus. It, it, yeah, it depends on the iteration, because he is meant to be St. Nick's Dark Shadow. So, you know... They'll play with the red, you know, there'll be red trim and especially the tongue, mm. right? Okay. That always sticks out. Uh, but, but yeah, so there's, there's usually a tub or a sack as well that he carries the kids to hell with that we see. Um, but, but yeah, that's, it's been funny because Krampus knock was the fifth, which was what day, uh, Tuesday. And so there's been a lot of videos making its way around line online of these, you know, parts of Germany and Austria and, Italy that celebrate Krampus knock of, of the uh, parades and stuff. And just each, each different version of Krampus. It's funny to see their take on it, mm. but there's, you know, the red and black with the long tongue is, is usually a signifier uh, across all of them. So, and, and if, if you are listening to us and you, you know, enjoy or enjoying this, Graham Morrison has a Klaus book that, that, you know, may or may not get into Krampus. Okay. Uh, that deals with the origins of Santa in a very fun way, uh, and I and I recommend. Um, so so yeah. All right. So we, what are we rating this one? That's what I was just going to say. I'm the uh, host, man. Mm-hmm. I I I ask Sorry. the questions. Yes, you questions. Neveling little. I I am the Krumpus to your Saint Nick. Well, that's that's how we were a partnership. And, I'm, I'm the silly guy. You're, you shoot people with crossbows. And Connor's the uh, delinquent child <laughs> who gets cold. <laughs> I was like, he's the elf, but okay. Fine, he's a shitty little elf. Yeah, there you who go. I'll, who'll whip and make do more work. <laughs> Back just, to work, elf. To pain. Yes. <laughs> Back to work, elf. Uh, you're a disease. I... You're a you're a cancer on this earth, elf. Uh, no one cares about you, elf. Back to work. Oh, uh, good lord. All right, so I'm going to rate this a nine. I'm probably a little bit... Too, probably a little bit too high, but I man, I love Santa. I love Barbarian Santa. I love Viking Santa. I am just, and it's got a compass. So yeah, and I. Okay. Uh, uh, 
I'm not going to go as high as night. I, I think this is a really fun book. I enjoyed the lore of that they set up with Santa and Krampus, and the interaction with Batman's kind of charming. So I'm going to go with it. A solid eight out of ten for me. I had a good time. So very good. Blue Beetle issue four, Drosh Tahil mm-hmm. and Adrian Gutierrez. Uh, this is a Matt only book again. So take it yep. away. All right. So where we last lost last left off. Jaime had gotten his butt whooped by the blood scarab. Uh, and he, you know, he's kind of surly about it because he feels like they're going to need to do something permanent because this guy's a big threat. Um, and so he's working at his, his aunt's restaurant. He's super into his head. He's super moody. Um, and, you know, they're kind of, they're picking at him. But, you know, um, they're also like, hey, man, you, you'll do what you can do. You know, but when he finally leaves, like, oh, finally, um, he's out of here. Uh, and as he's leaving, uh, one of the um, shoot, what were they called? They're not the Reach, but the 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 other group of those same aliens. Um, the leader's daughter comes by, and she wants to talk with Jaime, and um, they end up talking about how like they they want to live here, but they're tired of being treated the way that they are and that, you know, um, Oh, they're called the horizon, by the way, I just saw it on the page. Um, uh, but like they're the Jaime is meant to be the strongest of them. And like, if he can't offer them protection with Natita and dynasties there, they, you know, might have to find another, you know, a, another way. Um, and so, uh, as they're talking, uh, she's really big onto the survival. She's like, well, you know, I really enjoyed our date because they went on a walk as they're talking. And he's like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're you know, we're sharing intimate conversation. We're, we're, we're alone. And he's like, oh, sorry, I got to go. And he takes off to go talk with Starfire. Um, Lex Luthor sends a gigantic bouquet of flowers to um cord sister because of of the beating that cord has taken um and she's just like yeah you know me and lex go way back but wait how did he send this from from prison and her assistant brenda who's one of jaime's friends is just like you know we'll we'll get rid of them and uh cord's like well no wait i got this and she takes a flamethrower out and burns them um, so Jaime is talking to, to Starfire. This is where he gets really into the, you know, we're going to have to take care of the blood scarab, but Starfire, you know, who she comes from a warrior culture. She's like, but that's, that's not you, you know, that's not, you know, you're better than this. And Jaime's having a hard time because he's, he's real angry. This is his now, you know, Palmer City's his home now, and he's feeling responsibility for the horizon. Um, and so Starfire ends up calming him down and this page looks really nice. Cause you know, they're up in, up in the sky and you can kind of see Palmyra city, uh, below with all the lights. Um, and there's this big full moon behind them. And as they're talking, it starts off on almost like a, on a two shot close up of, of them talking. You can really read Starfire's face and Jaime's expressions. But as they're talking, it starts to pull back until, you know, Jaime is like 
only I can stop them. This is my job. And it ends on a silhouette of them in the moon of Starfire coming close to him. Not quite in a hug, but like close enough for like an embrace to remind him that he's never alone. Um, and again, this is a lot of big Starfire moments over the last couple months. So I'm very okay with that. Uh, and, um, uh, so that's where that part ends. I'm just double checking. Uh, cause, cause cord calls, calls him up that, you know, she wants to work with him. Uh, and that if they're going to defeat this blood scarab, he's going to have to work with her cause Ted's not around right now. Um, uh, the, the other plot that's going on here is his friend. What's his friend's name? I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, Jeff. No, it's Paco. I wanted to make sure it was the right one. So Paco is dating Dynasties. He shows up dressed really nice with flowers for her. Um, and they're trying to keep it quiet. Um, and, you know, they end up at this club. They're dancing. They uh, they hug. And then um, he's letting her know. He's like, yeah, I know you have a scarab. But, like, Jaime's been at this for a long time. Just kind of follow his lead. I promise you. You know, he won't let anything bad happen. Uh, and they end up kissing um, to where they get interrupted by uh, Fadeaway and Gimmicks, who Fadeaway was the, I don't know if you remember, in Graduation Day, the character that had, like, the magical stuff that had used them to get into court industries and then take off. Um, so Fadeaway shows up, and it seems like... Uh, is back to cause problems for Palmyra City. Um, yeah, it's so far so so pretty solid. It's it's a nice you know smaller scale superhero book you know compared to some of the other stuff that we got going on. Uh, and Trujillo still has a really good voice for all of these characters. And Gutierrez's art, um, the pacing really has gotten better. Like again, that Starfire and Jaime up against the moon. Is really a standout, but a lot of the layouts too, because uh, a lot of this issues conversations, a lot of the way that the the layouts go and the breakdowns uh, make for some cinematic uh, sequences. Um, but yeah, that that's that's Blue Beetle, uh, and I will give this a seven point five. All right, cool. So that's the last of the new books this week, but I do yes. have Patreon books to do so. Um, every month at patreon.com slash TV, you can make me read a book at one of the higher tiers uh, two people are doing just that first up I've got American Vampire Second Cycle Issue 2 so I was really excited to read this actually because I, I, I'm kind of in a new territory for myself and last issue this is a good job of setting up the Grey Trader as this threat as this scary presence this issue kicks off with Pearl at this uh, country club show where she meets Calvin, who's been a, a supporting character, and he's there to give her some uh, like passports and stuff for some of the runaways vampires that she's been helping. But she mentions that she's got this new girl who isn't talking about what happened to her, but did mention the phrase "gray trader," which she she did he did he does kind of react to that a little bit. Like you see, like uh, like a bead of sweat go down the side of his face, and he's he's a little bit scared by it. But he's sort of like doesn't say much he just kind of moves on and uh, there's just some mythology stuff here where 
The vassals now don't really have headquarters. They're kind of rogue now, where they're all just sort of traveling around. And this country club they're at is actually one of the places where this country singer works for the vassals. And whatever color a suit he's wearing, that's actually sending a message to the vassals members who might be in the audience. Uh, orange means danger, and the design on the suit uh, implies some specifics as well. So it's really setting up that there's, there's something big going down soon. So that's all really cool. But where things get really exciting is when we get back to the Grey Trader stuff directly. Uh, so one of the neighbors that lives near Peril, because remember, she's on like sort of farmland, so they're kind of spread out. Uh, he, he's this guy, he's got a lantern, he's got a shotgun, and the Grey Trader is just standing out in front of his driveway. And it's this great thing where he never says anything, it's just the the guy who owns the house saying, hey, who are you? Identify yourself. And then he threatens to shoot him. And, you know, the, the, he cocks the shotgun. And it's it's just it's building up the suspense. And the Grey Trader's not even reacting. He's in silhouette. And then there's this great panel. And the art here from Albuquerque is just gorgeous. Where his mouth is opened up so wide that the jaw's down to sort of roughly where the bottom of his chest is. And Oof. it's like this just huge mouth is opened. And it just stays there like that as as the as the guy's pointing the shotgun and yelling, what are you? He's getting really scared now. And there's this great thing in the colouring here where everything with the guy with the shotgun has got this orange glow to it because he just dropped this lantern. So there's this orange glow hitting him from below. But the grey trader's out in the night, so he's just like this various shades of like grey and blue kind of thing. So then it almost gets a little bit... Uh, almost Pennywise style, actually, where this guy's son, who's away in Vietnam, he starts hearing his son's voice coming from the mouth of the Grey Trader. And let me clarify this. The Grey Trader's mouth is still open wide. This is not like the mouth is moving and talking and he's hearing his son's voice. The voice is coming from inside the mouth. It's like there's like an abyss in the mouth and the voice is coming from inside and it's saying... That he's that he's in there. He's saying, "Come join me, Dad. It's it's all right in here. You don't have to worry about anything." And you just sort of get these glimpses in some of the panels of like, like people like sort of cocooned up in goo, as if like he's keeping like people in here, like trapped inside of himself. And the end of this mm-hmm. scene is so powerful because the guy doesn't shoot shoot the Grey Trader or try to fight back. He just gets sad and wants to see his son again. He's worried that this means his son's dead. So he just walks up and lets the great trader's tongue go around his head. And it's clear that he's about to let himself be swallowed by the great trader and go inside to this abyss, this other world that's inside the great trader. It's so well done and so spooky, so atmospheric. I think you can read it as he's already consumed the guy's son, but I don't even know if that's true. Mm-hmm. I think he might just be able to f- do the son's voice to trick him into giving himself up. This idea of giving his own soul mm-hmm. over uh, to the Grey Trader, which at the end of the issue, when Calvin, sc- very scared, phones Peril and says, hey, I looked up the Grey Trader. This is serious. He's the first. And she's like, what do you mean the first? He's like, he's the start of the, the bloodline. And I thought, okay, oh, he's the first ever vampire. All the vampires have come from him, all the species. And I think that's still true. But then he specifically calls him the devil. Like, the Grey Trader is, is mm-hmm. devil, the devil himself. So 
it does feel like we're getting into the end game of American Vampire because we're setting up literally. This is the most. This is the furthest back we can go. This is the most evil, the most scary we can go. We're going to to Satan himself. So, uh, meanwhile, though, at back at Pearls, the, uh, the 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 girl who had the the bite marks on her from the Grey Trader, um, she turns into a monster. It's well, Pearls like telling all the other kids that she, they've got passports and they're all going to go and live with vampires that are like them so they're all spreading out all over the place and they're sad because they don't think they're going to get to see her again the little kid's asking hey you ever going to visit and she kind of says oh we'll see but it's it's you know it, it doesn't sound like that's true it's like it's really going to happen but they get to talking about henry and they're like hey like why didn't you turn him like wh- what happened did you like split up and she's like no I wanted to turn him, but he didn't want to, and it's just this kind of sad, reflective thing. Aww. I just, I, I loved them bringing this up, but just it felt kind of sweet. Uh, it played mm-hmm. out of the character, and then that's when the phone rings and Calvin's like yelling about who the Grey Trader is, and his calls are being monitored. Right, someone is listening at the at the motel and is telling someone who he's talking to and what he's talking about. And then some people, some vampires come and attack him. So he's fighting for his life as he's trying to like continue this phone call. And as this is happening, the girl in the other room who was bit by the Grey Trader has turned into this big red super vampire. This is the best I can describe it. Full on monster movie stuff and Pearl goes to fight her. Um, and the final line is the phone lying there. Pearl doesn't even hear it. The phone's just lying there and it says the, the bubble's coming from the phone saying... I'm talking about the devil, and that's the the cliffhanger. So that's two issues in a row where it's ended making this villain feel like he's the biggest threat ever. And they did such a good job in that miniseries about Dracula and how much mm-hmm. of a threat he was. They're topping it with this so far, where the Grey Trader is just this otherworldly force. He's not just like a creature. He's not just like a violent it, vampire. He's something more. It than seems that. like a like a force of nature for sure. Like yeah. You're, you're like trying to brace for the hurricane and the hurricane's going to come no matter what. It's just, will you survive? For sure. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, I mm. like, I think the art here is really good. I love the tone setting of like, cause the, the first couple of pages is like the, the country singer, like going out and getting ready for his show. And he's sort of saying, God damn, it's an orange jacket today. Mm. And you don't really get the context of that until later when Calvin yeah. talks about the coding of the, of the outfits right. and stuff. So, it, it, like that sets this really kind of cool somber mood with them like talking quietly in the back of this country music club and then from there it just turns into pure dread and the way the Grey Traders handled so uh, second cycle so far is very good and there was a big break obviously between the previous stuff and when this came out and it feels like yeah like there was maybe some rejuvenation in the storytelling almost by having that break and it feels really exciting the story so far so Looking forward to see where it goes in issue three. Uh, this is a very, very straightforward, I think, nine out of ten uh, for, for American mm-hmm. Vampire. So, very good. Uh, so, that'll take me on to my other Patreon book. And I'm doing them both in one week because the last few weeks have all been so packed with books that uh, this was just <sighs> the, the one that made sense. So, uh, we're talking about Batman and the Outsiders issue nine. Uh, so... We were starting off a new arc here, uh, and it may just be a two-parter because most of these, this book so far has never went beyond a two-parter, so it may just be two parts. But this is the Masters of Disaster, a supervillain team that's introduced, 
and interestingly here this the, sh- the main story is shorter it's only 15 pages and then there's like a backup uh a halo gets her own little solo story which is its own little thing which i'll talk about because it's got a, it's got an interesting vibe i'll just i'll say that but this story starts off with black lightning questioning if he even wants to be black lightning anymore he's questioning does he want to be a superhero is he causing more harm than good he's really questioning things and we get the sense that these villains are looking for black lightning for whatever reason they want black lightning and it's two of the members of the masters of disaster and they go to a crime boss and demand to know where where he is and the whole team is there and this is where we get introduced to these five villains one by one as they show off some of their their powers so the the gangsters try to fight back and we get to see them all use their powers one by one first of whom of course which is set up because the gangster says ace them boys and that's when <laughs> cold snap gets his cue to come in and fire ace from his hands and make a little joke about uh about being cold snap uh i mean he looks he looks like a cross between Captain Cold and Cyclops of the X-Men. That's what his outfit looks like here uh, in this first appearance. Uh, he's got the blue and the white, but he's got like a, a Cyclops-esque visor. I know Captain Cold kind of has a visor as well with those glasses, but this, yeah. this looks more Cyclops-esque the way it looks. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, like, you know, pe- people... Cold Snap's been a joke, a running joke ever since, like, the first ten episodes of this show, because he showed up in a Justice League issue way back early in Rebirth, and we've been cracking jokes about him pretty much ever since. It's funny to to get this, and, you know, he's not introduced on his own, he's part of a team. He seems to be in a relationship with one of the other characters, I'll, I'll get to her in a little bit. Uh, but then we get introduced to Shakedown, who is this big guy who shakes people <laughs> he like vibrates <laughs> like them a, like, a, like like an earthquake kind of yeah but he picks up two gangsters and just sort of shakes them violently and seemingly yeah they're, they're they're screwed um later on he threatens to take down a building by vibrating the building so clearly he can do it in a big scale it's not just people but uh there's that um and then there's a character who i think i forgot what her name was as i was reading this and in my head i was thinking i was thinking of her as windblast but her actual name is windfall uh and she can send gusts of wind at people oh god these <laughs> names windblast would have, i would argue is better yeah uh look it's really tempting to make some fart jokes and all she's doing is farting to people. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. And then we get introduced to the one who has, like, the fire or the heat powers. She's called Heatstroke. Uh, and she seems to be in a relationship with Cold Snap because at one point she falls into his arms and it burns his arms and then they're all like, oh, sorry, love, kind of thing. Uh, so they seem to be in a thing together. Hot and cold. Opposites attract, I suppose. Is... <laughs> I mean, Heatwave and, uh, and Captain Cold are best friends, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then we get introduced to the, 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 the last of the, the team, which is... Uh, what's her name? Uh, she's New Wave. What do you think New Wave's powers are, Matt, if I don't tell you? Uh, like tsunamis. She, she controls water. Oh, you're right. Yeah, very good. 
Boom. Very good. Uh, they introduce her by one of the gangsters calls her a punk, and she's like, I'm not into punk, gentlemen. I'm New Wave. <laughs> this is so 80s. Like, I said, oh, like you I'm... didn't tell me. What's going on? You didn't tell me that Windfall's real name is Wendy. Well, I didn't know that yet, I don't think. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. <laughs> but that's oh, funny. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, like, it sounds like I'm making fun of this, right? I, I enjoyed reading this immensely. I had a good time learning all these stupid names. You have to take it for what it is. The villains in this book have largely been quite comical, and that's okay because I'm enjoying the, the the progression of the main characters and their lives. I love that the book spends time on the characters outside of their superhero life. Um, it's something that I think a lot mm. more comics are, are kind of missing these days. I love how dense the stories are. There's a lot more story in a comic from this era, and I enjoy that. But yeah, uh, basically they start fighting the gangsters because they're like, hey, we don't even have beef with you. We just want you to help us get Black Lightning. If you help us with that, then we're good. And that's, so that's the big introduction scene out the way, and then we go to like the various outsiders sort of in their day-to-day lives. Uh, Geoforce is enrolling in a post-grad course at college and is taken aback that it's so chaotic because the schools in Markovia are a lot more, I don't know, uh, fascist, I guess. <laughs> He's not yeah. used to everyone being all all loud and, you know... All, all this freedom he's, he's, not, he's not used to it but uh he meets a, a girl and she helps him sign up because he's very confused about the process uh we see uh, we get introduced last this year or so to katana running this bookstore that bruce bought for her so we see her actually selling a book to someone and talking to s- some of her customers and then uh, metamorpho shows up and says hey do you want to go get lunch which they do uh, this was actually a neat bit of storytelling though because this, they, they specifically have in this scene, the customer, uh, you know, calls her Mrs. Uh, Yamashiro, right? And that's mm-hmm. intentional because the audience needs to know what her, her last name is. Because the next page, there's a plane uh, going to, to Gotham, notably Flight 619. Make a real Mysterio joke if you want uh, at this point. Who's that coming out the sky? But uh, the the air hostess says to the guy in the plane, um, "Hope you, I hope you have a nice visit, Mister Yamashiro." So there seems to be someone claiming to be Katana's husband, which obviously is kind of a big deal because her husband's soul is meant to be in the Katana. Um, yep. That's of course assuming that's her married name. I mean, if she went back to her main name, I guess it could be her brother. But I feel like she probably kept her married name, given that she was in love with her husband and. You know, they didn't divorce, okay? <laughs> like, he, he died. Widows tend to keep their husband's names for yep. love reasons. <laughs> That's a weird way to phrase it. Uh, meanwhile, Bruce Wayne's at, like, a... He's at a charity event. They're, they're breaking ground on, like, a new housing estate or something for poor people. And mm-hmm. he's playing the, the rich playboy character where he's like, oh, I, I don't care about uh, housing, you know stuff and whatnot I, i'm here because there's champagne and they're going to serve some caviar at the party afterwards and the reporter's like mr wayne you don't care about the housing project and he's like ah don't bother me with sob stories and then there's a thought bubble where he's like i hate doing this character but i can't have anyone suspect bruce wayne's capable so so i have to be an idiot i have to be a, a stupid idiot 
So oh boy. that's going out. But that's when the masses of disaster uh, invade the scene and they melt the shovel that was going to break the ground. <laughs> Batman calls in the team. So we get all the characters sort of answering the call and going off to help. Uh, notably, uh, Halo was down in the basement at Katana's place and Katana says to her, hey, who are you talking to down there? And she says, oh, no one, just talking out loud. Um, or thinking out loud. Uh, this is important because this is actually answered in the backup. <laughs> so oh. keep that in mind, right? Uh, so yeah, the, the, the team show up uh, to fight the masses of disaster. And, you know, I want to put out here, the masses of disaster at the start of the issue were tailing Black Lightning and lost him, and that's why they went to go to the gangsters to like try and get help to find him. So the very first thing we see from these villains is them fail to just follow someone. And then when they're fighting the gangsters, there's a moment where uh, Heatstroke fall, you know, has a bit of a, a, a mistake, a bit of a, a botch, if you will, and falls into Cold Snap's arms, and that hurts him. So while they're dangerous because of their powers, the book has made them look kind of like chumps, for the most part. Like, they're, they're, they're making mistakes. They're not doing very well. Um, I just wanted to mention that here, but the... Outsiders show up, they have this fight. Uh, there's some interesting beats here, like, um, what's, what's her face? New Wave. Like, she turns into rain, and Metamorpho makes an umbrella, and is like, what, what's that going to do? And she's like, it's acid rain. So it's not just that she can make, control water and shit. She can turn it into acid. <laughs> which feels like a big deal. That's a, that's a, that's a yeah. big difference from just having water powers. But, mm-hmm worth mentioning um and then we we have uh, uh fart girl and halo have a fight uh <laughs> so that's going on oh god um cold snap and black lightning are having a fight and they actually reference the previous issue here because cold snaps like hey come on black lightning zap me and black lightning thinks to himself no i'm not going to do that because when i tried that with the cryonic man so this is not the first time we've fought a freeze villain in this this series mm-hmm. he's like oh he he was able to like make it backfire with his cold powers before so i'm not going to use my powers on cold snap i'm just going to kick him in the face uh which he does and <laughs> it, it's it's effective <laughs> Nothing like a good old face kick. <sighs> uh, and then Batman throws a throws a little concussion bomb at the roof of a building, and Heatstroke just gets covered in an avalanche of snow. So she looks like a chump. Uh, and then, and then uh, Vibrate Man uh, shakes Geoforce, uh, but yeah. Katana Karate chops him in the back of the neck, and oh. it. <laughs> God, I love the 80s. <laughs> I know. Like, this is all very entertaining. This was all very easy to read. It felt like I, I kind of yeah. love this series, to be honest. It's a very fun, easy read. I love that it builds up the characters issue to issue, but the actual villains and the fighting is just like a bunch of fun little ideas. Um, yeah. Basically, the whole thing comes to an end because the, the masses of disaster are getting their asses whipped pretty much. Mm-hmm. But Vibrate Man... <laughs> Shakedown. Shakedown, just thank so- you. Yes. <laughs> Shakedown puts his hand on a building and says, "Look, stop that! Stop fighting us right now, or I'm going to bring this building down and all these civilians that are nearby." So they have to stand down, and they're like, "We want Black Lightning," and of course, like one of them is like, "We're never going to give you Black Lightning," and then Black Lightning says, "No, no, no! No one else is going to die because of me. I'll go with you willingly." 
So Black Lightning goes off with the villains, and the rest of the, the team are left looking pissed off, and it says to be continued next issue. So this was a quicker read for the main story because it was only 15 mm-hmm. pages. This, this wasn't a case of they added pages for a backup. This was a case of, you know, we can tell it in a, a condensed 15 issue or 15 pages, yeah. and then we've got room for a backup. Uh, so I, I enjoyed the story. Now, typically I would enjoy just getting a full story over the whole issue as opposed to like making it shorter for a backup. But that's not to say that I didn't enjoy the backup for what it was. It's definitely kind of on its own. And unnecessary i guess but it's like a day in the life of halo um so halo starts off the backup uh, and this is still make w bar rating uh with a different artist though it's uh she she narrates the story but she does it like uh like in continuity if that makes sense like where she's talking okay. to the audience she's, she's like sitting down I, the best way i can describe it it's like the start of wayne's world where wayne's just talking to the audience and explaining yeah. like so yeah, let's catch up. Here's what's happening. I was at school today and this happened. And then it, you know, it, it goes from there. So it turns out she's in the marching band, right? Because she's good with instruments because of her powers. And part of this story is that her friend uh, on the marching band is really into the, 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 the lead musician in the band. Like she's got the, the, the flirts for him and she's too scared to talk to him. But then the rival school kidnapped this guy right uh because they want to win this marching band competition so halo has to fly off and save this guy from the the bullies from the rival school and they are part of the rival school and they're they've literally only kidnapped them so that they'll lose this this competition halo stops the car you know basically shines a light on them literally in this case and saves the guy there's not really much to say about how she does it beyond the fact that she uses her powers to make them think he's somewhere else. And then when they try and cross a bridge to get to him, the bridge collapses. So she has to save them by like sort of grabbing them all with this uh, big blanket or whatever it is. And they're like, hey, you can't even like get us into trouble here. Like it was all just a prank. We're minors. You can't do anything. We're not going to see any consequences for this. So Halo's like, all right, fine. If you want to challenge me. And she takes away all their clothes, so they're all standing there naked with this blanket, just sort of concealing their naughty bits. Mm. And she takes their keys away as well, so they can't drive back anywhere. So that's their punishment. They get their comeuppance, and we go back to the school, where Halo uses her powers to nudge her friend into his arms, and he's like, whoa, you feel that way about me? And she's like, actually, yeah, I do. And... That that's the, that's pretty much the story. The only interesting part, though, the actual bulk of the story is just kind of whatever. But the ending is it goes back to like Halo telling the story to the audience and the trophies like next to her, and then you hear Katana say, "Halo, Batman needs us." So this actually links up. So the reason why she was talking to herself in the main story is just because she was telling this story to the audience, which raises some questions about the the like is she breaking the fourth wall like in the main story is she aware that she's in a comic book these are just in, i mean it probably isn't that important it's probably just a stylistic choice but mm-hmm. it was funny to think about um yeah the actual story is just kind of whatever other than a couple of cute moments uh my favorite part of it probably was just the wayne's world style of like introducing it with her talking to the audience <laughs> But that was pretty much it. I like the main story a lot, though. I'm looking forward to part two of this whole Masters of Disaster thing and uh, seeing how that plays out. 
I've had a lot of fun going through this series, and I think this was another solid issue. I had fun getting to know all these goofy villains and all their stupid names and power sets and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, uh, probably a solid 8 out of 10, I would say. Uh, yeah, I, I'd maybe even go a touch higher if it wasn't for the backup taking up so much of the page count and not yeah. being as good as the main story. So, there you go. Uh, but that is the books. That'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week for it. Panel slash morning, favourite cover, favourite art, and of course, top five books. Matt, what is your panel slash moment of the week? Oh, man. So, there, there is a couple... Um, I'll start with in, uh, in Silent Night, Santa on the reindeer looking, looking all like a, like a Viking warrior. That that's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, in Shazam, uh, with the, the, the dinosaurs on the spaceship. And that was another great one. How, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they have time. Um, but it, it's going to be from birds of prey and it's that double page from Leonardo Romero. That's the fight scene with Canary and Sin um, across the way. Uh, just, uh, like, fantastic storytelling all the way around. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, again, there's a few things I could choose. There's stuff from Shazam that I could easily pick. Uh, actually, I think I will. I was I was going to go with, like, Cass taking on Wonder Woman and, like, that yeah. like realization that that's what was happening was Cass, like, outdoing yeah. Wonder Woman. But now that I'm thinking about it, Hey Achilles, how's that heel doing? And then just mm-hmm. Achilles' face squealing in pain yep. is so funny. I'm giving that my moment of the week. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. So that's my pick. All right, cover of the week. I made a mistake and did not check these while you were talking about books I didn't read. Oh, buddy! Look, um, I was reading. So what, what... I was reading stuff about video games. Okay, it was the yeah, whole thing. Yep. Um, so I don't have a pick. You, you got a pick ready? Yeah, I'll, I'll look. So uh, there's a Chris Somney Shazam cover that looks pretty cool. It's got all the kids around like a clubhouse hanging out. Uh, Birds of Prey has a couple. There's uh, a, oh. a Ch- Chuma Hill. A cardstock variant that has Barda, uh, like doing the superhero landing, punching the ground. It looks like it's watercolor, uh, very manipul esque. Oh uh, yeah, there's uh, an interesting one here from Joshua Sway, yeah, uh, which like is almost amazing. There's just maybe something slightly not right in some there's, of the faces to make it. There's an there's an uncanny valley. Yeah, like see yeah. see if the faces didn't have the uncanny valley, yeah. I'd love that cover. Yep. It's real good. And then the, the Chris Piccolo um, Canary one, uh, that's that's another yeah. one that's almost there. Uh, but I, I do like the, you know, it's got the sound wave ripples and stuff. But it wouldn't be a week without Poison Ivy, without of, me of course, yes. picking a Poison Ivy cover. And there's two to choose from here, too. Um, there is a Skylar Patridge uh, cardstock variant that's got um, Pam in the, in the foreground, but she's kind of... Not like in the field position, but she has her knees up and there's like mushrooms and plants all growing out of her. Um, that looks real nice. But my pick's going to be, it's Terry Dodson, um, one of the variants. It's got Ivy and Harley and Ivy's watering Harley as Ivy's growing out of this gigantic, almost like Venus, like the, the picture, but instead of a clam, it's a gigantic plant. Um, I just love Dodson art. And if you can put Ivy... In dots and art, I am there for it. 
Yeah, I'm looking through a bunch of them. There's a John Tim Shazam cover, which is which is solid. Um, mm-hmm. I think for me, it's between two. Uh, so there's a classic sort of variant for Batman, which is Robin and Santa swinging in that classic Batman yeah. cover, which is kind of cool. Uh, which is funny that this is for Batman and not Silent Night, which would make more sense. Um, I think my pick of the week, though, bizarrely, is going to be the Ben Oliver variant for Silent Night, which is just this ultra, like, realistic painting of Santa with an angry face with, like, blood as if he's been in a fight. It just looks so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have to pick that. It, it looks like the alternate cover to Violent Night. It does. It, look, it looks like it may even be inspired yeah. by that, almost. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to go with that... Um, I like the concept of one of the other ones, which is Zatanna sitting on Santa's lap. I just don't think I like the art style completely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's a fun idea. So I'll acknowledge mm-hmm. the, the concept of it. The main cover's good too, though, admittedly. Mm-hmm. So, all right, cool. Um, all right, art of the week then. Uh, so so mine narrows down to three here, and it, and it comes down to uh, Vecchio on, on Ivy, which is really good, Mora on Shazam, and Romero on Birds of Prey. Um, and gut check, just top of my head, it's got to go to Romero for Birds of Prey. A lot, a lot of cinematic storytelling going on, sequential work. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it, it is tough because I think when it comes to, say, the the colors and the raw like look of the art, I probably do slightly give it to Dan Mora, but I think I'm also going to go with Romero because I think the way it lays out the stories and the way it like does those fight scenes where all the fight scenes were extremely entertaining, partially down to how the pacing and the choreography of the fights through the paneling made them flow in such a way that they were really fun to read. Like, cause there's so many comic books where you read a fight scene and it's just kind of like, a mesh of things happening for a few pages yep. that don't flow very well. So many of them feel that way. This did not. Uh, that said, though, the, the paneling and the sequencing and Shazam was great for the jokes as well. Like, that was expert stuff. So it's very close mm-hmm. between them for me. Um, it's a Patreon book, so I can't count it, but just shout out to Albuquerque yeah. for Second Cycle because the art in that was gorgeous. Yeah. So, very good. Uh, all right, then, top five books of the week, Matt. Go. Oh man, I forgot about that because uh, I had them open. <laughs> so number number one's gonna be Birds of Prey, two's gonna be Shazam, three Silent Night, four Poison Ivy, and five Blue Beetle. See, the sad part for me is that I uh, because I didn't read Poison Ivy or Blue Beetle, it means that I'm going to have to include <laughs> some of the books. Two that of I, the other ones. Yeah. yeah. So my top three, I think, is the same. It's Birds of Prey number one, Shazam number two. And number three is, is Silent Night. Four, I guess, is Batman. And five, I'll go with Waller Rising because it had more interesting concepts and more of a complete yeah. story. But yeah, like, I really like my top three. I was very happy with my Me top too. three. But the, the other Me ones... Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> so there you go. That is that. I will now tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics as we get deeper into December. Next week, we have Detective Comics 1079, Action Comics 1060. Uh, We have Batman and Robin, Issue 4, Green Lantern, Issue 6, World's Finest Teen Titans, Issue 6. We have Batman, Gargoyle of Gotham, Issue 2. Excited to get back to that. Uh, First part was really good. Uh, Then we have Superman Lost, Issue 9. We have Batman, City of Madness, Issue 2. Also excited to get back to that. 
so yeah, oh, two Black Label books coming back next week. Uh, daunting, but they were both very good, so uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, we have Danger Street issue 12, so we have the final issue of that. Mm-hmm. We have Titans Beast World issue 2. We have Wesley Dodds The Sandman issue 3. We got Batman Santa Claus Silent Night issue 2. We have Outsiders issue 2. We have Titans Beast World Tour Gotham issue 1. We have Speed Force issue 2. And we have some other things here that, yeah, we, we got facsimile editions and whatnot. Uh, we got Waller vs. Wildstorm yeah. issue 4. Uh, we have the DC Christmas anthology issue, which we're definitely not doing because have you read? Have you heard all the books I just said? But yeah. uh, DC's "Twas the Night Before Christmas" issue one is your 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 yearly eighty page anthology mm-hmm. Christmas stories. Uh, Birds of Prey uncovered issue one, which is obviously a collection of uh, covers, and Mad Magazine issue thirty five. So yeah, it's a packed week. A uh, lot of stuff that I'm very excited for. Um, I will say this. I will say this. I'm looking forward to checking out Outsiders issue two because issue one mm-hmm. was intriguing. And someone did tell us in the comments that the ship was from the Authority, so it's not just planetary stuff that it's doing. It's so, Authority. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, there's a whole 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 host of things there. Um, but I will say that while I was in- interested in reading Sandman issue three, if there's a week where it's going to struggle to get kept in my lineup, it might be this week because that is a packed week of comics. Between, mm-hmm. you know, Beast World and the tie-in to Beast World and then Silent Night also being there, plus all the other, and the two Black Label books, I feel like that might be the one that gets chopped. I mean, I I already dropped Speed Force. I hated Speed Force issue one. I was never touching mm-hmm. issue two of that. But Sandman was kind of like just getting in with issue two. I think issue mm-hmm. three may get dropped for me because there's a lot of stuff to read next week. Yeah, being that I have to catch up with City of Madness now that two's coming out, probably won't be reading the the Gargoyle one. So Wait, didn't you like Gargoyle issue one? I don't think I read it. I, I missed that one. I think I cut that one for time. No, I think you did. Because I mm-hmm. remember you being glad that I agreed with the bat suit looking the way it did. Because we liked it all in the way the bat suit looked. I don't remember reading it. I think you did. <laughs> uh-uh. might have been, that might have been Connor because I missed. If it was out the same week as the first City of Madness, I wasn't. No, it wasn't. They I, weren't in the same week. Okay, they definitely weren't. Um, yeah. Definitely read City of Madness one because you're going to yes, want to talk about Cthulhu and Batman <laughs> for, for sure. Uh, uh, but with with the other ones too, it's yeah, it's it's going to be a packed week. So. Uh, and Danger Street, we're, we're going to end up talking a lot oh, about yeah. that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to be at like 11 or 12 books, even cutting Sandman. So, yeah, Sandman's mm-hmm. gone. I'm so, sorry, Sandman, but uh, yeah, oh, God. Yeah. I, I will keep reading Sandman since I don't have to read some of the other ones. So, sure. Um, I, yeah. I, I, oh, God. Like, I'm going to read Beast World Tour Gotham because I'm, I'm going to be committed to doing the event, mm-hmm. but. I am going to hate reading it with all these other books. Assu- assuming that it's, you know, So I, I just great. looked. Do you want to know some of the creative names that are attached to it? Am I going to be happy or sad? <laughs> yeah, well, it depends. Uh... The, the, first, the first name is Chip Zdarsky. So. <sighs> but Stephanie yeah. Brown's on the cover, and I like Stephanie Brown. Yeah. We have uh, Chip Zdarsky, Grace Ellis, Kyle Starks, Sam Maggs, Gretchen Faulkner Martin. I, I don't know these those people. Those are all writers. <laughs> nope. 
Is Grace Ellis related to Warren Ellis? I don't know. Um, let's see what they've worked on. And then art-wise, we have PJ Holden, Kelly Jones, Miguel, Miguel Madoncha, Daniel Hilliard, and Ivan Chavrin. So Okay. Um, Grace... Grace Ellis has done Lumberjanes, it looks like. And Moonstruck and the Lumberjanes Gotham Academy. Okay. So, so not a big list of things, but No. So so yeah. So we'll we'll see. I, I don't feel good after the, these two this week. So we'll yeah. Keeping up opti- remaining optimistic. Yeah, yeah. Um All right. Well, there you go. Well, <laughs> either way, you're getting a lot of book, books talked about next week. Yep. Uh, that's, that's the one thing we can say for sure. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us. This will bring us to the end of this week's episode of Comics from the Multiverse. Uh, you can, of course, uh, support us by simply liking the show on YouTube or rating the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, you can support us directly by going to patreon.com slash TV and uh, supporting us there for however much you, you feel comfortable with per month. Mm-hmm. $5 and up, you get a little bit early access. Whenever it's ready on the Saturday night, it'll go up there. Uh, sometimes it's late, depending on how long the show was and, uh, you know, whatever. But as soon as it can be up, it'll be up. And that's how how uh, that's how we do that. But, uh, yeah, that that is it. Um, I don't want to make any promises, but I think Connor said that he was free next weekend, so we'll hopefully have Connor back on. If he's not back on next week, I assume he'll be at least back on for the annual show or something around then uh, when we get towards the end of the month and so on. But uh, that is the show. Thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics, and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force. Thank you.